0: BBC WM 95.6.
1: Teachers, if you don't like it, get out of it. Pensioners who can't do anything to boost
2: her income. Abduction? As far as I'm aware,
3: she actually went
4: willingly. Ian Lee, Saturdays. 9 till 12. BBC WM
1: 95.6. Morning, this is Ian Lee filling in for Nick
4: Conrad. How long does it take to get married, for goodness sakes? I'm here between 9 and 12, and uh, as always, it's a pleasure to be here. And I'm keen to get your input. Lots of things we're talking about this morning. When was the last time you cried? How do I teach my three-and-a-half-year-old son to whistle? It's easy to whistle. How do you communicate that to a -a three-and-a-half-year-old boy? We'll also be talking about how important is it for kids to have dads. But the big talking point today, and we couldn't avoid it, could we, is uh, about the uh, alleged nail bomb attack in Tipton, I guess the question this morning is, how do we calm things down? The phone number is 08453 009956. How do we calm things down?
1: Call 08453
4: 009956. Ian Lee on BBC WM
1: 95.6.
4: I mean, it's been the big story uh, from yesterday afternoon and it's still big news this morning. I want your reaction uh, to the explosion that went off outside a mosque in Tipton yesterday. You couldn't have failed to miss it. has been on the TV, it's been on the radio. The attack could have maimed hundreds of people, were it not for the fact that Friday prayers have been put back one hour because of Ramadan? Well, police are investigating whether there's a link between the explosion and a bomb being left outside another mosque in Warsaw. But there are those two attacks. There have also been the graffiti uh, uh, attacks uh, on a mosque, one in Redditch, one in Cradley Heath, uh, all in the last month. So I, I guess this is kind of a wake-up wake call for everyone in the mes- West Midlands. The thing is, we don't want this here, do we? Do we? How do we stop these kinds of attacks? How do we calm things down? Well, if you've got an opinion on this, and uh, I'm sure most of you listening will this morning, 08453 009956. You can send me a text, triple three. start your text WM. Or well, we can cross live now to our reporter, Steve Herman, who's outside the central Jameer Mosque in Tipton. Uh, Steve, what's the mood like there this morning?
5: Good morning. Well, it's a beautiful summer's morning here in Tipton. I'm on the, the junction of Victoria Road with Mayfair Gardens and park, park Lane East to my left. Uh, it's closed off uh, part of Victoria Road and Mayfair Gardens as uh, the police continue in to investigate. Uh, like I said, beautiful summer's morning, but uh, you can forgive. Um, I mean, the mood is, is still very much one of disbelief, really. Many people telling me still this morning that... They never would have thought this sort of thing would have happened in Tipton. Uh, The blast happened at six minutes past one yesterday afternoon, so it's still very fresh in in people's minds, and uh, now it's still very much a hive of activity. There's not many uh, members of the public uh, around. They're perhaps preferring to stay in their homes, but there is plenty of police around here, Ian.
4: Is the mosque still sealed off, or are people allowed to go back in there yet?
5: Uh, Yes, yeah, it's it's sealed off here. Uh, um, uh, It's very difficult to get very close to the scene still, given the investigations. Uh, We were told yesterday that uh, police could well be there for the next couple of days carrying on their investigations. Right now, at the moment, I can see at least a dozen police officers blocking off the road. We've got the blue and white police tape blocking off Victoria Road in front of me. I can see two police cars, two police vans. There's uh, even in the last uh, couple of minutes a uh, technical rescue van from uh, West Midlands Fire Service has arrived and also uh, in the distance down Victoria Road just before the uh, railway bridge on the Ashes railway line, where the explosion was heard, I can see uh, forensic teams as well in their white overalls, their white face masks, gloves. Um, obviously, that's going to be part of their investigation as well this morning. West Midlands
4: Police. And Steve, from where you are, can you see any evidence of the bomb? Can you see broken glass? Can you I mean, there, was, there was scattered over a large area. Several nails scattered over a large area. Can you see anything?
5: There's no evidence of the uh, nails and debris which we were told of yesterday. That was uh, closer to the scene. I mean, we're a a few hundred yards away from uh, the mosque on Binfield Street. It's literally... Uh, a no-go zone around here. All I can see at the moment is uh, the Victoria Road surgery in the distance. Then you've got the trees and backing off to that. That's where the disused railway line is. So the the mosque is uh, somewhere over at the the, the back of the trees there. I can see a a forensics tent which has been set up in the uh, car park there. But, uh, yeah, no sign of the nail and debris over here. But uh, in the last hour on BBC WM, we did speak to uh, Zaire Hussain, who... uh, heard the explosion yesterday on Park Lane East. It actually woke him up. He was asleep, he said, at uh, one o'clock in the afternoon, and he said the explosion shook his house.
4: And the the thing that surprised me yesterday, watching this on the TV and and listening to it on BBC WM, was that the residents, they seemed very calm about this.
5: Yes, uh, absolutely. I mean, a few people obviously saying they're scared, which you can understand, but at the same time, like you said, I mean, I spoke to a lovely gentleman just before 7 o'clock last night, uh, live on BBC WM, who was saying, you know, We are calm, which is what the mosque leaders said. We spoke to the imam yesterday, again live on BBC WM, and he appealed for calm. He doesn't want people to get stressed by this. And the guy I spoke to yesterday, the member of the public, he took that message on board and he said, "Look." everybody's out on the street here, a beautiful summer's evening, he was telling me, and he said it's brought the community together, it's made everybody stronger. And just a few minutes ago as well, just before you you came to me live on air, I spoke very briefly to uh, one man wearing his West Bromwich Albion shirt here in Tipton, and, and he told me, he said, look, We're all together in this, you know, it doesn't matter whether you're white, black, Asian, whatever, everybody is together here in Tipton, it's a tight-knit community and this, you know, while they're shocked this has happened here, they weren't expecting it, you know, it will not uh, put them off, it will not deter uh, the, the spirit here in Tipton.
4: Steve, uh, Steve Herman, thank you very much. Steve's going to be there for the rest of the morning and we'll be going back to him uh, later on in the day. Well, how do we calm things down? That's the question, isn't it? No-one wants this. No, this is doing nobody any good. Uh, what can we do? You've probably got an, an opinion on this, 08453 009956. I'm joined this morning by Dr Chris Allen from the University of Birmingham and author of the book uh, Islamophobia. Good morning, Chris. Good morning, thanks for inviting me. In. Uh, no, thank you very much for, for coming in. These attacks are uh, seemingly on the rise. The timing, I think, of yesterday's attack is significant, just yeah. the same day as uh, drummer Lee Rigby's funeral. The, the mood, is, is, is it, there's a tension, isn't there?
6: Yeah. I think. Well, I, I think that when, what, we see, what we've seen from research is that whenever we have an incident where there's uh, Muslims been involved who claim to be speaking in the name of Islam or acting on behalf of all Muslims, even though they don't, what we see is we see a, a kind of sharp rise of, of anti Muslim in- incidents you know, for about two weeks. I think what we're seeing here is a kind of ongoing uh, sort of situation. I think there's obviously some who are looking to exploit this, some that are trying to continue this actual backlash against Muslims in a way of destabilising communities about increasing fear, about increasing anxiety. And I think what we're seeing now is the best thing that we can see. In Tipton, it seems that there's a sense of calm there, that obviously that that fear and anxiety is going to rise. But on the whole, people are actually very, very calm. And I think that 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 is the worst message that the extremists would want extremists of any side actually want a reaction they want anger they want the, the you know communities to be torn apart and i think what's going on in tipton is absolutely fantastic the dignity that has
4: been displayed i think by i mean this is a residential street you know you, yeah, you, you'd have a right to be angry if a bomb yeah. went off in your street the dignity that has been been displayed by the residents by people who use the mosque by people of all colors i think it, that has been uh, that's been incredible hasn't it? Yeah.
6: Well, I I was on uh, WM uh, yesterday evening, and Steve on News was just saying about the kind of response from the community. Mm. And it was absolutely fantastic, and I think there was this kind of sense of, you know, actually, rather than divide a community, let's all stand together. Let's actually all, you know, distance ourselves from this and condemn this as much as possible. And I think it's something, a message that's been coming through for a while, is that those individuals on the extremes from within Muslim communities don't actually speak on behalf of Muslims. Uh, You know, and the extremists within, say, the far right, with the English Defence League or something. They don't speak for people like myself, who's a white English British man, you know. So I think that you know th- this is this is really is a great a great response, and I think that everybody in Tipton should be congratulated for that.
4: Uh, you were talking about the press conference as well, which I missed yesterday, yeah. where where um, a, a cleric gave. Again, another rational, calm speech.
6: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Gulam Rasul spoke after the police, and I thought that the response from both the police and also from the mosques as as well was absolutely superb. I thought it was pitched very well. It was about, you know, this is about calm, allowing the police to continue with their job. And I think that really is what we need to do, is allow the police to get on with it.
4: Chris, uh, do stick around, because we're going to get a lot of phone calls in this. I can see the phone lines going already. 08453 009956. I'm keen to speak to both sides uh, of this. How do we calm things down? Right, we'll speak to you after we get a little bit of travel. Morning, this is Ian Lee, sitting in for Nick Comrade. He's away for another couple of weeks. Uh, he's enjoying his newly married life, so congratulations uh, to Nick this morning. I-, I want your reaction to the explosion that went off outside the mosque in Tipton yesterday. It could have maimed hundreds of people, were it not for the fact that Friday prayers had been put back an hour because of Ramadan. Well, police are investigating whether there's a link between the explosion and a bomb being left outside another mosque. So two bombs as well as graffiti attacks on mosques in Redditch and Cradley Heath, all in the last month. Well, how do we calm things down? What do we do to just take this tension out of the air a little bit? 08453 009956 is the phone number. You can uh, text me as well, 81333. Start Your Text WM, also joined by Dr Chris Allen, who wrote the book Islamophobia. Chris, thank you for coming in. Let's take a few calls. We've got Malcolm in Bournemouth Mal- Morning, Malcolm. Morning, Ian. Malcolm, what do we do to calm things down?
2: Well, um, to me, first of all, you've got to tell them to, um, to you know, what like they've been saying, keep calm until they find out who has done it. Right. Because to me, it's like that chap who was on just before. He more or less said it all, really, what I was going to say. Because, let's face it, the, the fanatics of, what, of whether it's uh, whether Christian fanatics Muslim fanatics or whatever they will do anything maybe to try and stir it up and so re- so really we don't know who has done it so it, it could have been because we know because we know how um, how the Taliban are averse to killing their own people just to make a point point. Um, and so we don't know if fanatics of that have started doing this to try and stir it up here to put the blame. On all of us, just to, to get the tensions going and cause problems.
4: Now, Ian, Malcolm, see, I, to say? I, I think I see what you're trying to say, and I'm just going to clarify, it, make sure I've not got it wrong. Yeah. Are, are you suggesting that um, maybe a Muslim extremist group tried to blow up a Muslim mosque?
2: Could be. Yeah. That's what I say. We've got to wait and let the police find out uh, who who they think has done it. What would be the benefit? What would be?
4: Start flying around. What would be the benefit of that?
2: Which, well, yeah, well, yeah, well, then we know, then, that, they, that they're not... We're not gonna, no,
4: they're not the not benefit be of a... waiting. Obviously, that we, we have to wait for a full investigation yes. to find out what's going on. What, what would be the benefit of um, Muslim extremists trying to blow up their own place of worship?
2: Because it would stir up the ordinary people into much more rioting and so on, and, and there might be a full-scale riot between the Christians and the Muslims, which is what they're trying to do in the Western world, aren't they? Uh, You see, they're trying to take over. They won't say so. Um, The fanatics are trying to take over the Western world, aren't they?
4: Are they? Yes, they are. In what way take over? Take over, trying to make the world Islamic... I don't... Well, I, listen, I'm not an expert on this. Dr Chris Allen, are, are they trying to take over and make the That's world... What they want to do. Well, let's ask the doctor. Are they trying to take over the world and make us all Islamic? Is that the plan? I,
6: well, I, I think that the, the first thing to say is that the, the, the premise that Malcolm's suggesting was actually explored in, the, in Chris Morris's film Four Lions, mm. which obviously was a black comedy, and this idea that actually it would be a good idea for Muslims to actually blow themselves up because mm. that would actually get a good reaction. Um, you know, I, I think that quite frankly, it's, it, it's almost a ridiculous premise that that is. And I think that, that what Malcolm was saying about not speculating and actually allowing the police to do the investigation is, is the actual key to that. I think that one of, the, one of the issues that we have here is that there is this kind of belief that Muslims are actually, you know, to, or Islam is trying to take over the West. I think we saw that in Norway a few years ago when um, Anders Breivik, you know, he suggested that Europe was being Islamified and that actually by doing what he did would actually be a, a prompt that people would wake up. Obviously, what Brevik did in Norway wasn't a wake-up call. It was just a wake-up call to say, this is an idiot who's on the extremes, who's doing something, you know, uh, uh, did, uh, hideous crimes. I think what we have to do is we have to step back from this and we really have to look at this seriously. And what we've seen from the Muslims in Tipton and Muslims in Birmingham and elsewhere across the West Midlands is that there's been a very, very British response. There's been no reaction. There's not been an overreaction. There's not been a response where, actually, this is about taking sides, this is about people. People coming together. And I think that actually sometimes it's very easy to look at these kind of conspiracy theories that Muslims want to take over the country or the West or the world or wherever. And actually, when we look at the reality, what we've seen in Tipton is a very, very British response. And I don't think that that would be different whether that was Muslims or non-Muslims. It's actually about being in Britain and actually living in the way in which Brit- British people live.
4: Malcolm, you, you know that most Muslims would, would be against a lot of the, the kind of activity oh, no, we've so seen now, recently. What
6: I'm trying to say is
4: a
2: lot of us in this country can only go by what we hear in the media and see on the television, and um, and, and we have heard that uh, the Taliban and people like that, um, and the, and Al Qaeda and all the rest of it. That's what they would like to do if what? they
4: possibly could. Now, least, what what do we do to calm things down? Then let's try and come up with some practical suggestions of how we can ease this tension and stop anyone planting bombs or killing people.
2: Well, you, first of all, you, you've got to you, uh, you've got to find out. Who's, who's behind it all first, nice. and then, then take it from there. You can't just sort of uh, just suddenly say, you know, oh they're dropping uh, bombs by these mosques. or oh, it must be the, uh, um, the English Defence League or the Christians or whatever trying to get back for, for killing one of our veterans and one of our soldiers. You know, you can't just... Uh, Start doing saying that because they might be doing that. Oh, do you know I, what I'm saying?
4: I do know what you're saying. I don't think anyone, particularly here at BBCW, I don't think anyone has said, oh, it's the EDL or it's the, the Christian no, no, far right. They, I, I think we've kind of been, from the reporting I've been uh, listening to over the last day, I, I think we kind of have been um, uh, taking a step back and not pointing the finger at anyone. But but it, it's yeah. very unlikely they'd be doing it to themselves, isn't it? Now, well,
2: when it should, yeah, well, of course. It, well, we don't know because. We don't know, they, but. Because they they have done it in in Afghanistan. Well, well, that's what they do. They go and blow themselves up and blow other people up with it. So that's the same sort of thing, isn't it?
4: Malcolm, thank you very much. Uh, 08453 009956. To a certain extent... Uh, uh, Chris. Malcolm is, is right that we shouldn't be, and I don't think we have at BBCWM, but we shouldn't be pointing the th- finger at specific groups until we know more. But that's the same with any kind of inquiry and investigation, isn't it?
6: Absolutely. And I, and I said this right at the start. It's about giving the police space and time to actually do their job. And I think that, you know, what, what we've seen in Birmingham in particular over the last few years is that in issues of counter-terrorism actually West Midlands Police have done a fantastic job. You know, they've made a number of uh, arrests, they've made a number of prosecutions and actually been, gone through to success. Successful convictions as well. So I think Westminster Police are doing an absolutely fantastic job in the, the kind of broader field of counter-terrorism mm-hmm. and terrorism. And I think that's why we should actually, we shouldn't try and speculate, you know. I think that what we can see is in Reddit, say for example, obviously the, the mosque was daubed with graffiti, there were swastikas, there was the EDL, there was uh, uh, KKK and also National Front actually put on in the graffiti. Wow, okay. But what we, what we, what we have to realise is that that may not necessarily be people who are affiliated with those yeah. groups. It's actually there as a provocation, yeah. you know, so somebody who wants to provoke a response will actually put something like that because it's about dividing the communities, it's about destabilising those sensitivities.
4: I've not seen an NF daubed on a wall in white paint since about 1979. <laughs> <laughs> wow, retro uh, racism! Yeah. <laughs> wow. Ivan's in Willenhall. Morning, Ivan. Oh,
7: yeah. Um, I initially found in, to say more or less what Chris has just said, uh, it's a very British thing to do, what they've done in uh, Tipton. But the best thing to do now is It's just stop going on about it. You know, all this media coverage, everybody's talking about it. In my opinion, enough's been said. Just leave it to the police now to sort it out. But the more you keep talking about it and saying things are great, whoever's done it and whoever did do it, did it to cause trouble, I think we'll have a go at something else. But if you give them all this cover, uh, you know, it's, it's just
4: and get them going. But if we give them all this coverage, but we highlight the facts that, that from uh, from both sides of the community there's been a very mature response, that there aren't Muslim teenage boys roaming around the streets at night with flaming torches, if we kind of shine light on this, doesn't that take away some of the power of the in inverted commas, terrorists who did this?
7: But how much light do you want to shine? Like like say, I know it only happened yesterday. Yeah. But The national media has been on about it.
4: A suspected bomb went off in a mosque. That's quite a big story. It it takes a little bit longer than, what, 15 hours for that to calm down, doesn't it?
7: Well, yeah, but you're keeping it going by talking about it. The the best thing that's happened is the response in Tipton. There's been no response. You know, but if you keep going on about it, it's going to get somebody going off somewhere. And I agree with Malcolm. I think it's quite possible that it was a, some extreme Muslims, and bear in mind no-one was hurt, and that the meeting in the church was an hour late or an hour early, that's why it was missed.
4: Chris, you want to, I come, have to come in? Wonder, Hang on a second. I've, Chris, Chris wants to hear, Chris.
6: Yeah, I, I, mean, I, I, think, I think one of the things is, is what we have to realise, is that had a bomb gone off anywhere there would have been more than 24 hours coverage, you know, mm. in the media. And so I, I think that actually taking away, you know, if we exclude the, the fact for the moment that this was a, a bomb at the back of a mosque, actually this would have carried on wherever this bomb would have gone off and whoever would have placed it. So, so media coverage would have carried on. If this would have been a, a bomb at the back of a church, for example, I'm sure that actually we wouldn't have people phoning up saying, let's not talk about this, because actually what I'm hearing is very similar to the debates that would have occurred had this have gone off at the back of a church had it gone off at the back of a synagogue it would have been this kind of this kind of uh, implicit assumption that actually some sort of muslim extremist group was behind this i think that what we have to do is you know and you know listening to to ivan and malcolm actually there's this kind of suggestion that we should give the police space to actually sort of do their job that actually there's been a very british response in terms of like all communities in in um, tipton but I kind of worry that what's, what the, the driver for this is, that it's the suggestion that actually give the police to, space to do this because in the end they'll find that this is Muslims who have actually done it. I would suggest that it's highly, highly unlikely, and I would, I'm happy to actually come back on air and apologise if I've got it wrong, but I'm, I'm, I'm almost certain that actually, you know, that this is going to be some individual who was acting on their own who was actually trying to destabilise communities, and, you know, they may or may not have uh, some sort of link with a far-right organisation... Or at least have some sort of sympathy. That would be my suggestion,
4: Ivan. Four events, uh, all, all within recent uh, uh, weeks: the two bombs uh, and the graffiti attacks in Redditch and, and Cradley. Why do you think that members, some members of the community, have got a problem with Muslims?
7: Well, I most certainly have. Yeah, you know, I mean, I mean I'm, I'm I'm 70 tomorrow. did you, sorry, did you say tomorrow, you've got have got a problem? Yeah, yeah. But l- listen, I've got friends who I cannot believe. Uh, have gone down the road, have being anti-Muslim or, or even anti-black. We, we weren't brought up like that. There weren't any in the country to to get uptight about, you know. Yeah. Uh, and friends of mine, I just can't believe some of the things they say. There's no reason for what it. I don't th- know where they're from. What kind from. of things
4: are they saying, Ivan, as long as, you know, just mind your language, well, what you kind know, of things uh, are they uh, saying about Muslims?
7: Well, racist things, you know, jokes. I get te- I've had to tell several friends to stop sending right. me jokey tech. Well, they think they're jokes. I, I don't think they're vaguely funny, you know. But uh, why why, why, uh, have, why
4: have they said to you why they have got a problem with Muslims?
7: Well, they really I don't know. You, you know, you pick them up on it and they'll come up with some silly excuse. You know, I had to take my grandson to hospital last Sunday. And they were nearly all Asian, the nurses, the doctors, uh, and they were fantastic. I have no problem at all, but lots of people just look for it for no reason whatsoever.
4: Ivan, thank you very much uh, indeed. Well, you've written a book about or called Islamophobia. Chris, why do people have a problem? Well, I think it's an issue around, uh, there's a lack of
6: understanding around uh, Muslims and around Islam. There is this kind of, uh, there's, I mean, it works on so many levels. There's the kind of international uh, sort of perspective. And obviously, we have to appreciate that for over a decade now, you know, British forces have been in a kind of a conflict situation in places such as Iraq and Afghanistan. And then, of course, we have Muslims here. And there's, you know, increasingly Muslims are visible in society. You know, you can go into the centre of Birmingham, you can go into the centre of most se- uh, towns or cities in Britain now and see Muslims. Muslims. And I think that there's this kind of this issue is that we forget that actually Muslims who live here are actually British and have born, been, uh, you know, the vast majority have been born here, you know, second, third, fourth generation, you know, very similar to, you know, sort of a lot of the, the kind of uh, people that came to Britain, you know, in the kind of 50s, 60s and 70s, part of the mass migration. I think that people cling on to a nostalgia that actually things were much better in the past. It's very easy to scapegoat people who look different, who maybe are perceived to be different, even though it's We've seen in Tipton this morning that you know the response from Muslims has been very very British and I think that what we really see there is that you know it, it's a very much a kind of thing where we don't differentiate so we, we use an example of something that goes on in Afghanistan you know what the Taliban may do and actually then project that onto maybe that's potentially what somebody in Tipton may do and I don't think we do that with any other community whatsoever so I think that there's the kind of the, the local, the national the international levels and it becomes all mixed up in, in the way in which we understand it in the way in which we try to deal with it.
4: Let's go to uh, Ranjit in Albury. Morning, Ranjit. Morning. How are you doing? All yeah, right? Fine, thank you. Ranjit, is your mouth anywhere near your telephone?
8: It is, yeah. Can't you
4: hear me? It sounds like you're in a separate room. It sounds like you're in a separate oh, room. I'm in a big room. Oh, yeah. mysterious. I'm a
8: small room. How are you doing? All yeah, right? I'm
4: fine, thank you, Ranjit. What's, what's your take on uh, what's been happening in the last 24 hours? Uh,
8: it's horrible. It's absolutely, you know, it's not a nice thing. I mean, I'm not a million miles away from there. I'm in Albury, yeah. Um, but two wrongs will never ever make a right. That's the one thing I'm going to say. And what, what, thing, what are the
4: what are the two wrongs?
8: Whoever's bombed that um, mosque, yeah. Yeah. In retaliation. I mean, it's obviously got a connection to the funeral yesterday. Yeah. I'll, I'll People
4: here. have made that assumption. Yes.
8: Okay. No. No. It, it, it's pretty obvious. You know. Um... He was a soldier going about his business. I, was, I don't
4: want to go too much into it. No, yeah. no, just okay. because it's, it's, yeah. a, it's well. an open case at the moment, so we have to kind it's of a just... Retaliation.
8: Tra- right. It's retaliation. probably is. More than likely, it's probably a retaliation. Somebody, maybe a lone person, is running around trying to make a point, yeah? I want to talk about Islamophobia. Yeah. I think, you know, the media's got a lot to do with it. To- a lot, yeah? You had uh, court cases where people were, you know, grooming children... And in the papers, they said people of Muslim origin, of Pakistani origin. There's no need to say that in the paper. They were perverts, and that was what it was. And it was just a coincidence that they were Muslim. So in the papers, you don't need to do that, yeah? And then we adopt things, right, which are yeah. good about the Muslim religion, right? Yeah. People like Mo Farah I think he's a, he's a Muslim, yeah? You, 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 you go on about Aladdin. That's Aladdin, that's a Muslim thing, but right. we, you know, in regards to I, I, I
4: suspect, Ranjit, that most people sitting at home watching Disney DVDs w- would not be aware they are watching a, a, a Muslim character on a, on a flying carpet. The thing about that, I don't want to go off too no, much what on I'm this. Saying is, yes. What
8: I'm saying is, the media portrays them as evil people, and not all of them are like that. There's very small, and I'm looking in it from the outside. I don't
4: know if they. Uh, what, what religion are you, Ranjit? I'm a Sikh. You're a Sikh, okay. Now, I don't know if the media. Does portray them as evil people. Uh, the, the thing that I heard, you talk about the child grooming. The, the thing I heard more than Mus- that they were Muslims was the fact that they were Pakistani and Kashmiri. That was what what stood out to me.
8: Yeah, but you know, Stuart Hall, he was a distinguished English gentleman. Nobody mentioned that, did they? You know, that teacher that ran off with the children, uh, the, the child to France. Nobody mentioned that he was English. So there's no need to mention where they're from, all right? Yeah. And then when you... Uh, what happens? Someone yeah. like me, right, with young children, uh, you know, I would be fearful of these people, but I know a lot of them, and a lot of them do disagree with... Uh, oh, of course going they do.
4: Ranjit, Ranjit raises a good point, I, I think, and I've heard this point discussed before about, well, why do we label people Muslim terrorists? We don't call people Christian terrorists, and why the, 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 uh, the child grooming, why did we have to mention they are Muslim uh, and, and Pakistani... I I don't know the answer to this one.
6: Yes. Well, I think, I think, I think Randrick makes some interesting points. And I think that there is an issue about when things go into the kind of public spaces and whether that's come through the kind of politicians or whether that's come through the media. And I think that what happens is it's not necessarily um, the, the kind of uh, sensationalist reporting of all media. It's the sensationalist reporting of some sectors of the media. And I think that there are a couple of newspapers in particular where you could look at some of the coverage around issues around Islam and Muslims where you would actually kind of suggest question Question the extent to which um, you know, the, the extent to which they, they are actually kind of exploiting an issue, you know, to, to make a particular uh, a particular point. there. I think what we what we've seen, particularly with the grooming cases, was that actually the reporting has been actually quite balanced. And you were right in saying there was a, there was an issue around ethnicity and about the kind of cultural sort of mm. practices within uh, particular ethnic groups. I think that then what happens is is that some latch onto that, and then we'll talk about this being, uh, you know, kind of inherent within Islam yep. that actually the teachings of Islam allow for this sort of practice and then we get into this sort of thing about how they come here and they do this to our women because our values allow this and it's very much about setting this kind of us and them up yeah. and so i think that actually you know when you look at the vast majority of media it's actually very balanced it's one or two within that or one or two aspects within that and one or two politicians and commentators who will actually have a particular viewpoint around Muslims and Islam that would then latch onto that and exploit that for their own gain
4: ranjit uh, again leave- Rigby to one side, because we, we can't really discuss it as it is an open case, but if someone commits an act, like the the, the bombs uh, in London a few years ago, and says they are doing it in the name of Islam, and they are doing this, you know, in the name of Allah, then surely we, we, we can safely label them Muslim extremists or Muslim terrorists. Oh, yes. While they don't represent all of Islam, they represent a very, very tiny minority or a, a, a percentage of Islam, if they say they're doing it in the name of Islam, then we can call them that, can't we? You, but what I'm saying
8: is, like your other guests said, yeah, people want to sell newspapers. Yeah. Now, as a Sikh, yeah, our religion started as a rebellion to the to the to to Islam because, you know, in Punjab, um, the, the Muslims came over from uh, the west, right, because they couldn't go um, further west because of the um, Richard the Lionheart's um, crusade, so they went east, right, and they were forcing people to become Muslims. Yeah. yeah. And the Sikh religion came out of that, right, because we didn't want to be forced, uh, converted into um, Islam, yeah? So we've had a running be- Islam, you know, from day one, yeah. the birth of our religion. But as somebody independent, right, I feel that the media does make them look very negative. And, you know... Blowing buses up or blowing a mosque up or killing anybody, it's, it's totally wrong. There is no religion, no religion in the world that says No, there that. isn't.
4: Of course there isn't. But let me but, just play devil's advocate for a second. If they are saying it, they are doing it in the name of Islam, we have to... The, the, the media... We, oh, gosh. Mm. We, the media has to flag that up, do not they? And that is a significant part of the attacks.
9: Yes,
8: yes, because that's what they're saying, yeah? But, you know, in, in big writing, we put... Islamic terrorists have said this, yeah. In little writing, we say most of the Muslims have condemned it. That's what I feel. I don't feel it's
4: balanced. Okay, Ranjit, we have to move in there. Thank you very much. We're joined now by uh, Mohammed Shafiq from the Ramadan Foundation. Good morning, Mohammed. Good morning. Very quickly, for those who are unaware, what exactly is the uh, uh, Ramadan Foundation?
10: Uh, We're a national British organisation that is working to build better understanding between Britain's diverse communities.
4: Well, maybe you could help answer this question we're asking this morning. Simply, how do we calm things down, Mohammed?
10: Well, we calm things down um, by coming together, holding hands, irrespective of our religion or ethnicity, and rejecting violence and terrorism. You know, in the same way in which we rejected terrorism after the brutal and barbaric murder of Lee Rigby, the country came together, and we'll come together after the incident, like terrorist incident yesterday, in
4: Tipton, We've had several callers this morning and several uh, yesterday on BBC w- WM suggesting that maybe uh, it's not unlikely that this attack was done by Muslims themselves just to, to stir up a bit of hatred. What do you, how do you react to that?
10: Well, I mean, it's too early to speculate. And, and obviously we should allow the police to complete their inquiries. But we've seen an eightfold increase in physical attacks against mosques, documented by uh, independent sources, i.e. I- the police, the Home Office uh, and the Association of Chief Police Officers. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I, don't, I don't really support or understand why people um, are, are saying that. And actually, rather than putting their energy into in putting together those text messages or finding excuses why this is happening, we should be condemning it without reservation.
4: Chris, you want to say something?
6: Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I, I think that the, the issue of mosques is a really interesting mm-hmm. one because since Woolwich, we've seen what, what we've seen is, is um, modern twenty actually be reported to, is, in terms of attacks on mosques. Um, we've seen in places such as Braintree in Essex that um, uh, people have gone in there actually bearing, uh, brandishing knives in trying to actually attack Muslims while they're praying. But I think that what we've got in the Midlands as well is we've got a very interesting situation because mosques have been quite problematic for a number of years. And I was just thinking when Ranjit said he was from Oldbury, is it? Just just along from Aldbury uh, in 2009 uh, a building that was going to be taken over as an Islamic centre was actually burnt to the ground on mm-hmm. the day it was handed over by Sandal Council. Uh, that was in Langley. Um, in Cradley Heath the uh, mosque has been attacked twice uh, with, fire to, uh, with fire bombs and this was in uh, around 2008-2009. One was on Boxing Day. I think also we have, to, we, we have to talk about the elephant in the room as well You know, in, and in the black country not far from Tipton. We also had the Dudley, uh, as it's been described, Super Mosque mm-hmm. and this has been something which has been a Mosque for over, you know, I think it's about 14 years now. It's been ongoing. There's still no actual planning permission for that mosque or anything built, but it's caused huge amounts of tensions. And if you look at the political situation up there, you've seen far right groups marching on a number of occasions. One of the biggest marches of the EDL was against the Dudley Super Mosque. Um, you know, you've had like sort of uh, people getting into part into the kind of local council. Same in Sandwell as well. I think there's an uneasiness around mosques in the Midlands in particular.
4: Mohammed, Mohammed, why, why do you- you think there is that uneasiness around mosques i think that uh, you
10: know as muslims we um, are responsible for ourselves and we've got to live in a peaceful way but the idea that fascist and extremist uh, and, and you know um, far-right uh, ex- extremists can march in the streets against the uh, mosques that are being built and that somehow that's a legitimate uh, reason the people who, who say that hide behind the uh, which is, uh, you know, a, a, a fear element. And as Muslims, we've got to reach out to members of wider society, explain what our faith is, explain what we say about, uh, um, about, is, uh, about Islam, about peace, and a living in peaceful coexistence.
4: You say, uh, you, say you have to reach out and explain. It, it, it could be uh, possible to, to uh, uh, allege, you know, put forward the allegation that there are some members of, of certain communities that don't want to integrate, that, that, that don't want to become part of the bigger society
10: there are uh, there are for example uh, white families that move out when Asian families or Muslim families move into communities and uh, so you know i th- I think this quite simplistic uh, you know approach that uh, that you that you're questioning um, obviously you're just questioning because you're a presenter but I think the important thing is um, you know, we've we if we had seen the prayers yesterday at that mosque at one o'clock you would have seen three to four hundred people praying in that mosque and because the prayers have moved back. A, uh, forward an hour. Uh, thankfully, uh, nobody was injured. Well, this and is this is,
4: I, I think, where the, where, where the, um, the the accusation from some of the listeners to BBC WM comes from that it, that it, it could have been done by muslims themselves it was either done by an idiot who couldn't check the timetable properly or it was done by someone who who had inside information now i'm not i'm personally not suggesting that but that's where this accusation has come from that it was that that someone a muslim would have known there wasn't going to be uh, a prayer session at one o'clock so they put the bomb there for one o'clock so that no one would get hurt um i I think what
10: has happened obviously ramadan has started and during Ramadan, um, quite a number of mosques around the country have decided to push their uh, prayer, Friday prayers uh, an hour forward, and obviously, you know, that varies from mosque to mosque. Um, you know, an attack against the mosque is not just an attack against Muslims, it's an attack against all of us, in the same way the attack against uh, and the killing of Lee Rigby is an attack against us all. You know, we've got to unite and we've got to come together and we can't um, allow any justification for terrorism from any section of our society and if it is proven that it's members of the Muslim community, then, you know, the, the, we will give a strong reaction, and we expect the rest of society to give a strong reaction if it's proven that it's from far-right extremism.
4: We often hear the accusation, Mohammed, when, when, when uh, something happens uh, uh, by, um, in inverted commas, Muslim terrorists, uh, that members of the, uh, the, the clear-thinking Muslim community don't come out... Uh, quick enough to denounce these uh, these atrocious attacks. A- how do you react to that?
10: Well, actually, I would disagree with you. I mean, maybe that would have been the case uh, in July the seventh, eight years ago. But actually, after the brutal murder of Lee you saw uh, Muslim organisation after Muslim organisation on the airwaves talking to ministers and doing a lot of work. I did over 180 interviews during that period. So actually, I don't think that I don't think that applies now. When when we see terrorist attacks, when we see brutal Murders, as we saw of Lee Rigby, uh, we you know, you see a very strong collective united Muslim reaction, um, from various parts of the country, and I think that is something that we can celebrate and be proud of.
4: Mohammed, we're in Ramadan now, aren't we?
10: We are indeed, yeah. Uh, I,
4: am I right? It, it's am I right in thinking you're not even allowed to drink during Ramadan in the day? I'm not, no, it's gonna I, be 30 uh, degrees today, man. You can't even have a sip of water. No, how are you no. gonna survive?
10: Well, you know what, I think, uh. Uh, Science has proven this as well. Uh, When you are fasting, uh, God gives you the strength to see the day through. Uh, When we started in the morning, people were saying, God, I don't know how we're going to cope. And then you ask the same people, how was your day? And they say, yeah, it was fine. It was fine. But you know what? We'll we'll, we'll get through this.
4: are Are you allowed to sit in a paddling pool?
10: Um, no, I'm probably going to go to bed because
4: I've been up since five doing interviews. So. <laughs> uh, Muhammad Shafiq, thank you very much. Nice to talk to you. Thank all. you so much. Science has proved that God gives you the strength, so that there's something there. Uh, well, listen, what do you think? How, how do we calm things down? And, and Muhammad is right, I was playing slightly, slightly like devil's advocate there. You do constantly uh, uh, see, when there's a, a recent attack, you do constantly see um, members of the Muslim community coming out and denouncing them. Uh, do give me a call. 08453 009956. You can text me 81333. Start your text WM. Uh, WM. Uh, this is Ian Lee, sitting in for Nick Comrade on BBC WM 95.6. Doreen, Simmy, Matt, we'll come to you after this. Morning, this is Ian Lee, sitting in for Nick Comrade, uh, here between 9 and 12. You can give us a call this morning. We're asking uh, about the recent events in Tipton, or well, yesterday's events in Tipton, and uh, other recent attacks on mosques. How do we calm things down. No one wants. No one wants bombs going off in their village or their town or their street. No one does. No one wants to see people die. So, what do we do to calm things down? Oh eight four five three double double nine five six. In a minute, we'll be speaking to a, a local councillor from Tipton. But before that, let's go to Simmy in Sutton Coldfield. Morning, Simmy. Good morning. Sorry, Sim- my voice is a little
3: bit gone there. Have you, have
4: you, have you been shouting, Simmy? Um,
3: yesterday was quite
4: a, a vocal day. Yes. Why, why were you so vocal yesterday, Simmy?
3: Um, just being at work and, I suppose, not sleeping too much.
4: This, and, um, isn't it hard sleeping in this heat?
3: Well, I haven't been sleeping in the day, just been working, but okay. also fasting and oh. not drinking
4: water, things you're, like that. So. You're, you're fasting as well? Yes. Uh, I, how, I, I've got to ask, because it does fascinate me. How on earth are you coping without drinking water in the day? Or are you having a sneaky sip every now and no. then?
3: <laughs> No, not at all. Um, I think really we just look at the other community around the world, the Islamic community, perhaps in um, Arabic countries or India, and they're, they're fasting in 40, 40 yeah, plus degrees. It's a degree little bit warmer heat, there. And they possibly have to wear more clothes, etc. So, um, yeah, we're quite lucky here, I think, and, okay. and we just look at it like that.
4: Simi, what are your views on uh, what happened in Tipton yesterday?
3: Well, obviously, it was um, it's an awful thing, but I do I do respect how everybody's... Remained very calm i think that is the spirit of muslims in general in a small community and especially during the month of ramadan and um on a day like friday which is also the holy day for muslims so i think that's just you know muslims who are trying to exemplify that we have to deal with things peacefully and show a different side from what's perhaps been shown in the media which i think others have already um touched upon previously. Um I think Ranjit was saying about how the media blows things out of proportion slightly, you know, these these buzzwords that are used, um Islamophobia, terrorism, Al-Qaeda, all these kind of words which just perk people's ears up and and make them assume things about Muslims who who probably, you know, they don't know much about Muslims. I think this this behaviour shown yesterday exemplifies what true Islamic behaviour should be, to remain calm during a situation, wait for things to be investigated, not overreact. You know, like you said, there's not young boys in the streets causing riots Mm. or anything like that. And I think, you know... We'd be quite proud of proud of how they've reacted
4: to to this. If someone you, you, talk, about, you talk about the buzzwords, and we'll, we'll speak to uh, to Chris in a second, whose book is one of titled one of those buzzwords. But if so, uh, surely we have to report. And listen, I'm quite new to doing this serious sort of stuff, yeah. so I don't know the answers. But if we if, if someone builds if someone commits a, a, an atrocity, a murder, or a bomb, and says they are doing it in the name of Allah or they are doing it in the name of Islam. Then we have to report that, don't we? And 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 they they are by definition a Muslim extremist.
1: Yes,
3: certainly. I understand uh, where you're coming from, but say something like this. I mean, it is it's an act upon um, the you know the the religious building, the house of Allah, and um, on on a religious day like a Friday, the most holy day in the week, also during the most holy month of Ramadan. So the thing is, it can also be considered as this is quite an extreme act as well. But when reporting such news, it's never, it, it, it's never that, you know, if it's something to do with the EDL, for example, that have um, that, that graffitied masks or burnt-down masks or anything like that, it never gets labelled as terrorism, so to speak. And it is, an ex- it is extremist behaviour, but it's the words that kind of get, at, you know... Um,
4: well, yesterday it, is, 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 I believe, being looked at as, as, as a terrorist attack
3: right but it's just the the wider view the media on a whole
4: and if it was and, and if it was and and, and and let's just assume let's not talk about this but let's assume that there has been attack done by an edl member somewhere it would be labeled as an edl member has attacked or a member of a far right organisation has attacked so it it, uh, it, it would be labeled like that but, it, it,
3: but it, they don't jump onto the word like terrorism and you've got to understand that i believe you know obviously this is this is an issue that's that came about in um after 9/11, the word terrorism became much more frequently used, and after the um, the, uh, the bombings in London as well, which obviously no uh, no normal Muslim would condone at all. But the use of the word terrorism, which harks back to that time and the fear of that time and the catastrophes of that time, I think in people's mind they you know it's it's a preconceived kind of notion about. You know, these kind of people who are bombing buildings and this, that, and the other. It's that word, terrorism, which isn't isn't ever used so much for um, the far-right uh, EDL. Te- the,
4: the definition of terrorism, a systematic, systematic use of terror, often violent, especially as a means of coercion. Um, it, it, so, basically, it's an act of violence to change people's opinion. So, it, it's sure. the correct word to use, isn't it?
3: Yeah, but then, you know, it's also the correct word to use in the other... Um, yep. well, if if um, if people are blowing up uh, mosques yep. or graffitiing mosques? And, and, I do believe that
4: it, it, there's nothing different. I so me, think and that, that, that word has been used. Yes, I'm, I'm moving on just because I, I, I want to speak to a council a second. But Chris, you've got something to say.
6: Yeah, uh, I think I think that all these terminologies are very very uh, sort of interesting. But I think that there are those legal definitions, and yep. when and when the police make a designation, it's if something is terrorism or if it's hate crime, mm. it's because that they are looking more towards a successful uh, um, uh, arrest. Uh, conviction and pr- uh, prosecution rather more so than actually what a perception would be. So what we see is things such as graffiti, uh, smashing windows on mosques, um, sort of pulling Muslim women's hijab from their heads, uh, verbally abusing someone. That is designated as a hate crime because there, there, there's, there the police are more likely and the, and the crime prosecution service are more likely to be able to prosecute the perpetrator rather than if it was under the heading of, of terrorism. So we need to bear those sort of things in mind.
4: Chris, thank you very much. We're going to cross uh, back to Tipton now we can speak to a councillor in the town, Saida amina Cutting. Good morning, Saida. Good morning. Saida, what's, um you've had a night to think about what happened. How, how are you feeling this morning? What's your reaction to what happened yesterday?
11: Well, uh, the feeling this morning is, you know, whatever's happened yesterday, we need to sort of uh, get together today and make sure that people feel, still feel reassured and... Um, Supported really um, and, and and people overcome what w- what what has happened and make sure that the feelings are um, that, that 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 you know th- there is there is support out there
4: How did you find out about the site, and what was your your first reaction
11: um I actually work on this date uh, I only found out um when I had residents come down and, and tell me that this has happened, I didn't hear the bang myself. Uh, but uh, and then the police came and they did they did make the report that an incident has happened. They confirmed it, and they had to evacuate residents. And so I sort of got in, you know, I got involved because the residents were evacuated in a nearby community centre.
4: I don't suppose you ever expected a bomb to go off on your doorstep, did you?
11: Um, not really, no. Um, I don't think anybody expects that at all.
4: And that must be quite concerning. If if a place like Tipton isn't safe uh, or, you know, or has been subject to, to an attack like this, that, that must be quite concerning for the whole community there.
11: It's very concerning and very serious. I mean, it just proves that this can happen and it can happen on anybody's doorstep. So we do need to be vigilant and, and, and learn what we can from this, really, to prevent anything else happening in, in future.
4: And uh, have you spoken to local residents? How, how are they feeling? Are they worried? Are they concerned?
11: Yeah, the local residents are, are, you know, are worried. They're concerned that it is a depression, shock. I mean, the, all the things that go with uh, something like this. It, it has, it has, um, it, it has scared a lot of people. But um, the spirit is definitely saying, well, nobody's been hurt. So, uh, on that occasion, although it is serious, it that the faith is there. Muslim community, they believe in faith and they believe that, you know. Um, God will help them to pull, pull together.
4: Do we know how damaged the mosque is?
11: Um, I haven't got any extent of damage uh, to the mosque yet. Um, that hasn't been uh, provided by the police as yet.
4: Saida, uh, thank you very much. That's Saida Amina-Kartoun, who is uh, a councillor in Tipton. Well, it's, uh, it's, it's the big news. Uh, some people suggesting maybe we're talking about it a bit too much. I suspect, as my uh, guest Chris said, if a, a bomb had gone off in the back of a church and we weren't talking about it the next day, Chris, people would, would say we weren't reporting it enough.
6: Absolutely. I, I, I think that one of the things we have, to, we have to acknowledge is the fact that it's a big story in the West Midlands, you know, this is uh, Radio WM, that actually you know, we need to talk about these things and actually if, if for no other reason what, what is really great about what came through last night and through today is the, the real calm response that's mm. coming through, this idea that communities are getting on together, that are actually working together and I was just thinking that, you know, in a very populist way, it, it's, it's so British it's almost as if it's keep calm and carry on mm. this, is the way, this is the message that's coming out, and I think that's a really strong message to put out there.
4: And By the way, I was watching uh, the BBC One news, uh, this was like third or fourth, if that plane hadn't blown up at Heathrow and that train hadn't derailed in France, this would be the lead story yeah, yeah, across the country. Yeah. It's, it's a big story. Uh, Doreen's in Erdington. Morning, Doreen. Good
12: morning. I'd like to reply to the chap that said um, you shouldn't say what the religion is, you shouldn't say they're Muslim. You've only got to listen to the names, but you know who they are. <laughs> they're mostly Mohammed. and you, I mean you hear Patel or and you, you can, well, Well, you know. well
4: Doreen, Doreen, I, I don't think most of them are, are, are called Mohammed. That name does no, pop I up. No, I know, but
12: there is a few. Mark. But you can tell by the name. I think the core is not from from a Muslim that, name. No. <laughs> Ian Brady, they said he was an 80s, and they said his partner in crime was a Catholic. Hang on a minute, w- w- hang hang on,
4: hang on a minute. we've got off on a tangent. I'm not quite sure what you're talking about. But, but that's, isn't that a little unfair to judge people by their names?
12: No, but he said you shouldn't say they were Muslim. No. And I, I thought to myself, well, I've only got to see some names and I know wh- well, they, they, whether they're Sikh you... or... By the, by well, what's it, Doreen?
4: Doreen? Give, yes. me a, give me a Sikh name.
12: Oh, I can't just think about it. But if I hear one, I can relate it because I know a, a few, you know. And don't okay. forget, 90% of the... Muslims. Yes. When they say they're British, they don't say I'm a British citizen. Right. They say I'm a British Muslim.
4: Where have you and where have you got those statistics from?
12: I've heard them on the radio.
4: Right. And you've collated that down. Well, a lot
12: of them say it. they never. I've only ever heard one chap on your radio station say yeah. I'm a British citizen. Yeah. And the rest they always they, they say what you say. I'm a British Muslim.
4: And what's the problem with that? Well,
12: they, no, I don't say I'm a British Christian. I couldn't care. Uh, I, I don't. You, what, what, you guys got to say your religion after you're British
4: form? Well, maybe, maybe those people you've heard saying they're a British Muslim, they hold their religion uh, uh, more dearly than you hold your Christianity. Yes, yes, I
12: do. But then another thing, you sound about fasting. I know some Muslims and um, my daughter and son-in-law said, aren't you fasting? Oh, he said, well, I can have something to eat today because I've given some money to the mosque.
4: That's what these words... Uh, did Chris wants to... Uh, Chris?
6: Yeah, I was just going to say, well, the reason why people don't say I'm British Christian is because if you look at statistics, less than a million people go to, to the Church of England mm. on a normal Sunday. So, you know, in a population of 60 million plus, actually, you know, it's a very small number. The fact that uh, Muslims describe themselves as British Muslim is, is <laughs> surely that's a statement that they are British. Yeah? <laughs> you know, I think that before when Muslims used to say, well, we're Muslim, you know, there was this thing, oh, you're not British. Now they're saying they're British Muslim. Well, now... They're Actually, they have to be British citizens.
4: It's not a bad yeah. thing if they're saying they're British Muslims, is it, Doreen? Well, they do- you don't hear us speak. So I'm a British Sikh. Well, sometimes I you am do. I'm
12: a Hindu. You don't hear Hindus so I'm a British. They just and you, they're foreign. Whatever, and I don't um, say.
4: Doreen, secret, breaches, um, Doreen we, we we on that gross, slightly misinformed uh, generalisation. We have to uh, end it there. They're, they're not all foreign, anyway. There's so much we could say. Right, we'll keep on talking about this and other bits and pieces in the next hour of the show. But coming up next, here's the news. BBC WM 95.6. Teachers, if
1: you don't like it, get out of it. Pensioners who can't do anything to boost her income. Abduction? Uh, as far as I'm aware, she
3: actually went willingly. Ian Lee, Saturdays
1: 9 till 12. BBC WM
4: 95.6. Good morning, this is Ian Lee filling in for Nick Conrad who's still off getting married. How long does it take, for goodness sakes? It's week three. Uh, I'm here this week and next week, then Nick will be back, so don't panic. Uh, This morning we've been asking for your reaction to the explosion that went off outside a mosque in Tipton yesterday. It's the fourth attack of... uh, We've had two bombs so far, two explosions, and two uh, graffiti attacks on mosques uh, in the last month or so. Well, how do we calm things down? You can give me a call on this, 08453 009956. You can send me a text, triple three. Start your text, WM. I need some tips as well. I'm going to teach my three-and-a-half-year-old boy how to whistle. I can whistle. I have, I haven't got the language to communicate to him how to whistle. Can you teach me how to teach a three-year-old boy how to whistle? And also, in this hour, in parts of the West Midlands, up to 70% of children are now raised in households without their fathers. Well... Does every child need a dad? 08453 00 8133 WM
1: Call 08453
4: 00 Ian Lee on BBC WM 95.6 so joined for the next 15 minutes or so by Dr Chris Allen from the University of Birmingham, the author of Islamophobia. You've come in wearing a jacket, Chris. It's What are you doing? It's too hot. I want to look slightly professional. <laughs> look, look at me. I'm a mess. For goodness sakes. Uh, we'll let you go in a bit so you can go and enjoy the hot weather. Uh, Matt's in Solihull. Good morning, Matt. Good
13: morning, Ian. Matt,
4: what would you like uh, to say?
13: You were catching up. You were a slow starter, but by the time... Uh, Conrad comes back. You look past him
4: out. Well, that's the Matt. You're, you're very, very kind. So yes. I, I am a slow starter. I like to build up gradually. Yes, it's a marathon, not a sprint. This thing I know we call that, life.
13: Yes. Anyway, we we'll get down talking about religions. There was murder in Northern Ireland last night. With reli- religious groups, both Catholic and Protestant. Yes, there was neither trouble with them, the marches,
4: weren't there? Wasn't neither there?
13: of them go to church at all. So I don't know why they're classed as religious people. I am not a religious people. I'm an aged person with a lot of memory of rows with religions. Religions cause rows all over the world. And um,
4: as is it the Muslims. religion... Matt, Matt, is it the religions that cause the rouse? Well, or is it... It's the individuals... With it? Because Christianity, from what little I know about it, and Islam, from what little I know about it, uh, and Sikhism, and all of the others, the, the, the basic tenet of these religions is love, is be nice to people, look after people less fortunate than you, then you might get looked after if you need it. But the basic thing is love. It's people misinterpreting Well, I've seen
13: religion in Ireland, and I can assure you there wasn't a lot of love in it. There was greed in it. I won't mention the religion, but there was greed in it, and that was in the south of Ireland. Greed, and these people were living it up while there was... Ordinary poor people hardly having enough to eat.
4: But again, that's misinterpretation. Jesus and God and Muhammad and, and Buddha and all these people, their their basic message was just be nice to people, just be, just be ni- as nice as you can and you might get that back. It, it, and, and the greed and the selfishness within religion, that's, that's people exploiting other people, isn't it?
13: It is, yes. Um, it is, and, and it, it, with these mosques, they seem to be popping up awful quick, all over the Midlands that anyway, is... and I suppose that's worrying people too, for fear that a certain race of people are taking over.
4: Should it should it be uh, worrying people though, Matt?
13: Um, probably yes. Why? Well, they seem to be better educated, and they seem to have been able to get better jobs. Sorry? Through their education, where the other people are probably neglecting themselves, and if you neglect yourself, then you find fault with other people as well. But
4: so that's not the fo- if, if uh, uh, again this is a, this is a generalisation. But let, let's let's go with your uh, uh, your premises as, as being true. If Muslims are, are getting bed- better education and g- uh, therefore getting better jobs, well, g- good luck to them.
13: And, uh, well, that's what I say. Good luck to anybody that will try and make his life better by working himself to the limit where other people are probably satisfied to sit out at home watching television and if they see the neighbour doing very well and a nice car with them they just plainly
4: get jealous they plain Matt we're, we're, Matt, we're going to move that uh, I've heard this accusation uh, Chris uh, mosques they're popping up everywhere Every there's pop mosques yeah. popping up you turn your back for five minutes you look around there's a mosque there is that true how many are getting built do we know
6: um, well, I think in Birmingham, uh, in Birmingham, I think that there's just. A, I know I put you on the spot for yeah, figures, of that, yeah. so I won't
4: hold you to this completely. No, no, no.
6: I think there's there's, there's around a hundred, but I think what what we what we have to to remember is that there's still a lot more churches mm. than there are uh, mosques in, in the West Midlands in the UK there, as a lot whole. More
4: churches that are sitting empty.
6: Yeah, absolutely. And I and I think this is the thing is that when you look at some of the churches, the, the newer churches that are opening, a lot of those come from sort of African tradition uh, uh, of Christianity because. Actually, these are the communities that are actually going and worship at these at the churches. In the same way with mosques as well, it, it's a kind of supply and demand thing. That actually people are going to mosques, so that's why mosques are popping up and that's why they're being built. I think that you know what what we have to realise is that you know that, that some of the more mainstream churches, the the Church of England, the Methodist churches, and so on, you know, actually a lot of those are you know largely empty on a Sunday morning. Mm-hmm. You know, so so it's you know we're not seeing a kind of growth of, in the number of you know kind of mainstream churches. We're seeing a growth in mosques. But it is really a supply and demand thing.
4: Another argument uh, that I've heard Islam is a religion, it's not a religion of peace, it's a religion of hate and it's a religion of violence.
6: Well, I think that, and I was when I was listening when I was listening to Matt previously. Uh, I think that what, what we have to differentiate is from the ordinary believer of any religion, somebody who you know gets spiritual enrichment, gets some sort of you know sort of um, something from actually practicing their religion, their beliefs that they have, and we have to separate those from the people, the very very small minorities within each of these religions who will use that for you know division, for exploitation, will use it for political or ideological gain, will use it to oppress to to divide you know to sort of target and vilify others even sometimes within their own religion even i think we have to differentiate that and it's not necessarily the religion itself it's not necessarily the ordinary believer it's the way in which that religion is adopted and used by a small number within religions that actually creates
4: the problems hey and i don't know if you know if you read the bible oh it's, no. it's <laughs> the one of the most violent <laughs> books in the world it's been a long time since i've read it but I, I remember reading bits of it as a kid and thinking, oh my goodness this, this is incredible. You can make this into a film starring Steven Seagal. Uh, Yasir's in Warsaw. Good morning, Yasir. Hi. Good morning. Um, I'd like to talk about uh,
14: what happened uh, yesterday regarding the Timpton, uh, Timpton Mosque. Yeah. Actually, I'm the youth member for the Aisha Mosque uh, in Warsaw, where it was a terrorist attack was done a few weeks ago. Mm. Basically, first of all, the callers are um, with a lack of knowledge. And they're talking nonsense about it, what, what,
4: Islam. What have people been saying that's nonsense? Yes, sir.
14: Okay. First of all, they don't know what the meaning of Islam is. First of all, second of all, you know, Islam is a prof- prop- proper, peaceful religion. Our God says that even if you kill one person is equal to the entire world and he will be judged in the hereafter. Now, actually, that's, yes, that's a one, good that's
4: right? a that's a good point point to flag up. But but people will be reacting to um, uh, recent uh, attacks and and uh, attacks over the last few years, where people have claimed to be doing them in the name of Allah and in the name of of, of Islam.
14: But to me, they're not Muslims, okay? But they say they are, don't they? Yes, they are. Because I'll give you an example. I know which you all like is media is handcuffed, okay, to the government, right? media can only present to the nation what the government wants okay how,
4: how do you come to that conclusion
14: okay the reason why I said that way is because what is happening in Afghanistan what is happening in Iraq what is happening around the world yeah. okay with Muslims there's lack of knowledge that going around and giving wrong information regarding Islam that's why you know
4: and that's coming from the government
14: that's coming from the media i'm not saying the government I'm you, say, saying, though, you know, said we
4: were handcuffed to the government so that, I, I assume yes. that you meant that was coming from the government and being passed to the media
14: yes like for, if media wants to present something it has to go through the government the government has to then say yes or no
4: that's that you, you know that's, that's you know that's nonsense don't you well i, I, I have never had i've never had to make a phone call to whitehall or parliament and say look i'm doing this story about a bond i'm not i'm not saying that
14: What i'm trying to say to you is that when a publisher wants to publish something, he has to go through the management, all that you know, all that kind of stuff. I did everything, even if the reporter writes something, yes, which I'm the witness, yes, that a reporter has wrote something and was not published. Yes, you know, how, like
4: how, do, how do how how do you know this? How do you know that? Because I'm the witness. <laughs> no, yeah, but how do you know that everyone has to do that? I, I, with gr- well, the greatest respect, sir, you're talking nonsense. Well anyway um... well no, not with it anyway don't, <laughs> don't don't come out with a ridiculous statement be shot down and then 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 move on it's a ridiculous thing to say of course that's not how it works okay. yes there are certain that there are certain rules within the media and that we cannot libel people uh, we have to and the BBC is particularly the BBC more than Sky uh, really really double check their facts before they they kind of announce a story Sky will pounce on a story and throw it out there without knowing the facts sometimes and sometimes get it wrong the BBC are, are very efficient at checking and double checking their facts before they make an announcement on air, but this—I this, agree with you. This thing, I agree with you. which is which is which is great, because we want to get real facts out there. But this thing mm. that we have to run it past the government. <laughs> <laughs> OK. Um, basically... Now, he's going to think I'm part of the the, the, the conspiracy now. He thinks <laughs> that, a, that I've got a little little f- light flashing from the government saying, don't let Yassir speak. Yassir, listen, to prove this isn't a conspiracy theory, stay on the line. We will come to you after this, but I, I have to do a little bit of business. Morning, this is Ian Lee sitting in for Nick here until 12. We're talking about the events in Tipton yesterday. We'll move on in a couple of minutes. Uh, I just want to read a couple of texts before we come back uh, to Yassir. Um, put your names on texts. Quick message about the debate on Muslims. I'm thirty years of age and as a white English lad and many of my friends, we don't have issues with the Muslim race or Pakistani people. What we have issues with is the amount of mosques in the country. We see it as we wouldn't be able to go to Pakistan and just put put up churches everywhere. I think I said this last week. I spent three months in Pakistan. There are a load of Christian churches. There's quite a few, so that's wrong. And also I think as they are British, they should speak it. I think the, the issue most white young people have uh, and then we lose text Well most Muslims do speak English. Yeah, it's kind of generally the older generation, the grands and granddads, who, who have come over and, and don't speak English. But, but most of them do, so that's wrong. Um, g- good morning, can I ask, says Laurie, has this, one, has this been confirmed as definitely a nail bomb? Two, was it actually in the grounds of the mosque? I've heard reports that differ with facts. It would help if facts are factual and not uh, upped to make better news Tipton made national news some years ago says Julia in Tivedale when uh, men from Tipton were found fighting in Afghanistan they later became known as the Tipton Taliban and the teacher says you can't say no one wants this obviously the person who planted it does and there will be a small minority cheering this on you're, you're right there probably will be uh, sir we were talking to you you believe I'm part of the, uh, the New World Order and the conspiracy theory what else have you got to say? Um,
15: also I want
14: to say that uh, you know First of all, lack of knowledge uh, regarding uh, Muslims, uh, because um, every every time when something happens, uh, especially what's happened in Aisha Mosque, what happened in Tipton, you know, people always think that Muslim. Do you know this Lee Rigby? The, the yeah, I, I don't want to. I don't. Wanna,
4: I can't talk about Lee Rigby for legal reasons because there is an ongoing court case. Right.
14: Okay. <laughs> okay. It, it, it's it's like. It's hard to explain, but what what I'm going to say to you in easy terms is... Please do. uh, Very quickly, if you
4: wouldn't mind, because we are running out of time.
14: It's it's, it's that um, they need to learn about Islam and want to learn what the religion is about. And, you know, whatever is happening is not Muslims doing this.
4: But, but But there are people... But the people that do it... Say they're Muslims. And you're right, yes, of course we should learn, we should be taught about all religions at school. I was lucky enough, I was. Uh, And we should, you know, look at these things with open minds. But a lot of the recent events have been done by people who say they are doing it as Muslims.
14: Christianity and Muslims, only 5% difference, Okay, What the woman was saying before about Muhammad, right? Yes. You know, it's only 5% difference. You go to church, we go to mosques. What's yeah. the difference? OK, right? Yassir,
4: well, it's listen, only... we, we, we're going to have to end it there just because we, we are running out of time. Uh, you, but I agree with your point that, yes, we could, all, we could all be better off by learning a little bit more uh, about various other religions. Uh, Chris, a final word from you. Yeah, I was just
6: going to respond to Yassir. And, and the, the problem you have is that when, when you have these kind of statements about, well, people should learn about Islam, actually, when you speak to Muslims, and, you know, Muslims are not all the same, so their interpretation Surprised and understanding me. of Islam is quite different, yeah. people will have different theological beliefs, people will have like you know different practices and so on. you know some will actually practice their religion, some won 't you know but maybe sort of culturally and that 's the same
4: with christianity you 've got your absolutely. church c v e, you 've got your your, your Catholics. you 've got your you know across America there are thousands of different people yeah. who 've interpreted the Bible in different ways
6: absolutely and I think that, I think that what we have to do is is that it, again it kind of it, it, we have to be careful not to fall into this trap to suggest that all media is government run Did it go through? I mean, just to say, I came on here this morning, I had no guidelines as to what I must say, what I can't say, what I can say, where we are. They won't believe it. (laughs) No, no one will believe it. But, I mean, on Tuesday, I'm actually in London uh, at the all-party parliamentary group on Islamophobia. We are looking at the post Woolwich situation, and I can guarantee that I'll be talking from a balanced, hopefully balanced, objective and independent viewpoint. And that's really the good thing about, you know, having people like academics come on. We actually have research, we can respond to that, and we are independent. in terms of what Chris, I'm
4: going to have to stop you there. My red light is flashing, which means David Cameron uh, wants this this interview ended and I have to ask you to leave the building. It's Dr Chris Allen from the University of Birmingham, an author of Islamophobia. Put your jacket on and go out in the heat, you silly sausage, for goodness sake. Thank you very much for coming in. Uh, If you want to give us a call, we'll keep talking about this all morning. It's it's the big story, not just in the region, it's national. And if that plane hadn't uh, blown up yesterday, if that train hadn't gone off the rails in Paris... This would have been the lead story on the on uh, the, the national news last night. 08453 009956 81333. Start your text uh, WM. Uh, let's go to Sean in Edgebaston. Morning, Sean.
16: Morning, Ian.
4: Sean, what's your take on this?
16: Um, well, I've been listening for about an hour now, and I, I listen to the various sides, and um, I'm not going to comment on what anybody says, I, but what I would like to say is I've not yet heard anybody come on and say that they like Muslims, that they like living amongst Muslims. They realise how kind Muslim people can be, and you know how, you know, just
4: basically, I, I. Live so what are you, what are you surmising about from that? Well, the people it's, don't like Muslims.
16: Yeah. Well, what, why would anybody want to be Islamophobic, for instance? Like, you know, do they not know what people are like?
4: Do you live amongst Muslims, Sean? Yes, I do
16: live amongst Muslims. And do you
4: like living amongst Muslims? I
16: I adore living amongst Muslims. I wouldn't move from this area to save my life, and I'm only a stone's throw from the main mosque. Um, When I was ill, um, they came to my aid. I live on my own, and when I'm going shopping, I could hardly walk. Like, you know, they would take my shopping home for me. Women would stop me in the street and ask me if I needed any help. And, um, you know, and they are just very, very kind people.
4: Like I you know. spent uh, three months in Pakistan years ago and I made some of the best friends there. I was, I was uh, treated wonderfully. I was invited round to people's houses for tea. You're right. And, uh, you, Sean, yeah. you, you, have, you have raised the point that no-one has, has mentioned they like living with Muslims and you have mentioned it. So, Sean, thank you very much uh, indeed for that. 08453 9956 is the phone number if you want to give us a call on that. I do need, as well... And I'm going to keep banging on about this. Tomorrow, I've not seen much of my boy this week. It's been a very, very busy week. Very busy week. Uh, so tomorrow, he's three and a half. got all day with him, but all day with both of them. I'm going to teach the three and a half-year-old how to whistle. <laughs> now, I can whistle brilliantly. I can, I, I can do a strong whistle, a soft whistle, a melodic whistle, a tuneless whistle. I have no idea how to communicate that knowledge to a three and a half-year-old boy. I need a... Gra- <laughs> it's... I don't want to sound sexy. It's probably going to be a granddad. I need a granddad. Or a grandmother or a mum. But it's probably going to be a granddad. I need someone to call up. How do I teach a boy how to whistle? I know. 08453 009956. We'll also be asking about when was the last time uh, you cried. But we'll talk about that in a bit. The question now is Does every child need a dad? I'm really keen to hear from you if you grew up without a dad and if you think it affected your life adversely. Did it have a negative effect on the way you were uh, in that you possibly didn't have a strong male mole, uh, role model or a mole model. In parts of the West Midlands, up to 70% of children are now raised in households without their fathers. A recent study has found that nearly one million kids in the UK are growing up without having enough contact with their dads. Researchers from the Centre for Social Justice found that the lack of a male influence in children's lives can lead to higher rates of crime, teenage pregnancy and give them a disadvantage in life. Well, Yasmin Alabia brown spent a week in Ladywood in Birmingham. She's on the line now. Good morning, Yasmin. <coughs> Good morning. Yasmin, what did, what, what did you find during your week in Ladywood? <coughs> Let me just...
17: Sorry, i suddenly got a frog in my throat. Um, let me just say two things very quickly before I say what I was doing in ladies. Yes. I'm not part of this awful in Duncan Smith agenda or the Tory agenda... No. ..about blaming lone parents or get married, any of that. You know, I'm just not. But the, what I wanted to know was how it feels, both for the mothers and the children. Not when the dads died. When dads die... That's different. We mm. all have to get used to it. But it's when fathers just don't, are not part of the children's lives in any meaningful way. What does that feel like? Does it matter? Does it hurt? Um, you know, and I wanted to just talk to people who are living it.
4: So, so you're talking about where the father has made, what, a conscious decision not to be part of that child's life?
17: Well, I don't even know if it was as as thought through as that. Right. You know, you they... they get women pregnant, women have children, and the dads have vanished as if into, you know, turned into mist or something. So it's not even that conscious, it's just what they do. Um, It doesn't feel, you know, they want lovers but not mothers, Mm. and they want the fun of sex, untrammeled sex, without the
4: consequences. Let's talk about how it affected the mums first, Yasmin. What what difficulties or, or what did you find out about them?
17: Well, one thing to say is you have to be very strong. I was a lone mother for a while um, when my ex-husband left us, and uh, and I get very angry when people say all these mothers want to be alone and steal our sperm they, and all that. They so, want
4: they want council flats, don't they, Yasmin? <laughs> yes.
17: Well, exactly. That's what the image is. Yes. Well, the mums were really strong and committed to their children. Um, the ones who came and actually they were really open, and they really were very very hard pressed and they knew that their children I, I did this just before father's day and this whole country would be celebrating father's day and here was an area where it was kind of almost meaningless and they the women kept saying i didn't want this in my life i don't want my children my daughters to go through what i've gone through but equally i did talk to men who were also very open and I talked to men who themselves had never been fathered mm. and so were not fathering now. Um, and I just thought, and you know, the, the what, one piece, one bit that wasn't in the piece because it was a very long piece three little girls, two black girls and a white girl, about 10 years old in their school uniforms, walk, were walking past me. And I said, Hi, girls, um, do you live with your dads? And they smiled at me and they said, Yes. And off they went. And then. About 10 paces later, they turned and came back. And they said, Actually, we just say that. And at that point, I nearly cried. Mm. You know? So there is a. a so why, why a hole were they just saying that? The, the, the,
4: the, the stigma, or were they uh, living in a fantasy slightly? Why, why was that?
17: Because the world expects, you know, there's Father's Day coming. Yeah. I think for young girls, fathers have a a, a very different role to play as for men it's a very important role but very different and i think not having a dad maybe they were fantasizing yes i don't know but you know i didn't have a, a at all a meaningless uh, relationship with my father and i think it's left left a lot of problems inside me too it's something that leaves you with a, uh, a something you have to deal with when you have relationship with men later on mm. But I also don't think that all fathers are good fathers and violent and bad fathers are better gone than there. I do believe that. But I think for the men, the, the, they need to think about how they are missed when they wander
4: off. There is... We do hear, don't we, about how uh, important it is for... Uh, there's a massive shortage of male primary school teachers, uh, and the reason this is important, you know, why we need more male primary school teachers is because so many kids don't... They don't have a male uh, role model to look up to or to talk to. Uh, how important do you think it is to have that male role model for, for children?
17: Well, I'm, I'm not even sure about the role model theory, but I do think that not having somebody dependable... A, a man who is dependable, they can trust and have a relationship with, a non sexual relationship yep. with. It's really key. And there's an, an old Sikh shopkeeper in Ladywood who's kind of become the male in their lives older, older people, as you know, some people in their 20s, as well as children. And I think having teachers, good teachers, would kind of help. <laughs>
4: Uh, d- d- do boys suffer more without having a, th- their dad there? I think they'd suffer differently. Right.
17: I think they suffer differently. There was a fight that broke out when I was in the community centre, a really nice community centre. The area is really pleasant, actually. It's really nicely kept, and the women support each other and things. I'm not trying to make a misery memoir out of this. But the men, I think, get angry, and there was this fight that broke out between men in their 20s. Really. Suddenly, like a chip and fire, you know, really awful fight with chairs and all. And an old man sitting next to me said, none of these men knew their dads. Mm. And I don't know if it's true, but it certainly sort of really occurred to me that that's how they respond. I think with women, they, they kind of trust the wrong kind of men because the men have been missing from their lives. So when they, as they are growing up, they're more easy to exploit. They choose bad men because they've never met good men. You know, so it's different.
4: How, how do we break this cycle, then? Is there anything that could be done? Are, are their children destined to, to fall into the same traps?
17: Who knows? But I think that would be the third generation. And I did talk to a very interesting man, uh, Naz, who was very open, a very gentle uh, um, man in his 20s. And he himself had never known his father. He's got two girls with two different mothers. And I said to him, but you're repeating the pattern here. And he said, I know, I know, and I feel really bad about it. I didn't want to, but I've done it. Mm. And, and so that's the thing. They're almost kind of trapped in the only lives they know. And it's only when men, young men and boys in school maybe are taught that not just sex education, but sex responsibility?
4: Mm. Then maybe. Uh, I, I, I was being slightly flippant with my comment before about that, that they all—all uh, all these single mums—they just want bigger council flats. And it does annoy me when people level that that accusation because they're, they're saying that having kids is the easy option. Looking after kids is one of the hardest jobs in the world.
17: Absolutely. And when you're you're on low incomes, like there was a mother who was training to be a mechanic, really fab woman really a better mother than a lot of middle-class mothers i can tell you because for her she had no help right Mm. and she was trying to do her very best for her kids who were really nicely mannered and so on but what does she do what does she do she's really struggling and yes having this palatial council house my i wasn't i was going to use my foot (laughs) um (laughs) it's ridiculous um and we've got to, we really, people who make policies, have got to go into these areas and see what these women are doing before they mouth off the way they do.
4: Uh, and, and finally, these I mean, these dads are missing out. It is one of the hardest jobs in the world. But, but, it's so rewarding,
17: isn't it? It is, I think, if only they knew. If only they knew what a continuous relationship with a child can give you. Um, as a man, I mean, you know, I mean, no, no girlfriend, no kind of multiple girlfriends can possibly work, be worth the loss of such a thing. But they've never learned it themselves. And I think maybe schools could do more. Maybe dads need to go into school, committed dads mm. from estates. Then there are some need to go into schools and talk to the boys mm. about what a great thing it is to be a dad.
4: Uh, Yasmin alibi-, alibi Brown, thank you very much indeed. She's right. Being a dad... Oh, being a parent of any kind, it, it is such hard work. It's such hard work, particularly if you've got a job as well. and they try, Oh. But the rewards are incredible. And my children drive me round the bend. They are two of the naughtiest little boys in the world. But, oh... When they just sit on my lap to read a story, or I just spoke to my little boy, my eldest boy, before uh, before he came on the show, I suspect he was watching Mary Poppins as he, as his want... Mary Poppins is the thing. Can I watch Mary Poppins? You've watched it twice already! Uh, because he was giving me that slightly distant... But he was blowing kisses down the phone, and when are you coming home, Dad? Uh, oh! How important is uh, uh, Dad? Does every child need... A dad. If you've brought up kids without a dad, I, 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 very briefly, my, my dad, I didn't speak to my dad from pretty much the age of 15 until about three years ago. But we kind of had a big falling out, and he was a bit of hes a massive idiot, to be honest, and I, in turn, was a bit of an idiot. And uh, we kind of made peace about two years ago, and then he died this year. How selfish of him. He died this year, and I was heartbroken. Uh, and looking back, I just think, oh, what a waste of 35 years. What a, uh, 25 years, what a waste. And I wish he'd been around, you know, when I was younger and older. How important is a dad to you? Do you do you? Uh, are you a single parent struggling without a dad? I mean, two reasons to why these dads don't want to get involved. It's it's great fun how You get to hang out with kids and play with kids. Oh double o double nine five six. Shabana uh, Mahmoud, am I going to Shabana first? Yes, let's go to Shabana. Hello, Shabana.
18: Hello there,
4: Shabana. What's your take on all of this?
18: Um, well, I mean, I, um, I'm very happy to have a debate about the importance You're of You're the MP for
4: Ladywood, of course, aren't you?
18: Yes, I am, yes. Um, and, and 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 because I'm the MP for the area, I do want to point out yes. um, that I do think that the Centre for Social Justice report is actually highly misleading. Um, and 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 I, I don't know if you've already discussed in your program, but actually, I'm not even sure that their numbers add up. They're focused on one tiny area in my in, in my Ladywood ward, yep. uh, which has 772 households in it, um, only 385 of which have dependent children, and only 19, one nine of which. have have lone parents. Uh, and You don't need to be an expert at maths to know that 19 out of 385 is not 70%. So I'm actually um, I've asked the Centre for Social Justice to stand up their figures and they've not yet got back to me. So I do I do feel like we have to treat um, the, the description of Ladywood as a man desert with a lot of caution.
4: Well, th- th- well done you for flagging that up and uh, do let us know if you get um, their correct figures because it will be nice to have I a look at those uh, uh, at some point. Um, but are you concerned about if it's not seventy percent but are you concerned about the the, the families growing up without dads
18: I mean, every every week in my in my constituency surgery i see what i call the effects of poverty and what i think drives family breakdown actually in my constituency and similar constituencies in the country is a lack of jobs um, that's where I think the pressure point is my constituency has the highest rate of unemployment in the country and I think a lot of some of the social issues we find result come as a result of the lack of jobs um, in uh, in in the constituency and in the city and the lack of skills that people have um, in order to get those jobs that's where I think the biggest pressure points are and the families that I meet in my constituency surgeries it's always around household finances and living in cramped and inappropriate conditions that is what you know those parents that come to see me tell me is causing issues in their own relationships and affecting the way in which they can they can raise their children um and and on your wider point of course dads are important um and you know in an ideal scenario um i 'm I'm, I'm very lucky I come from uh, you know a two parent household I have an excellent relationship with both my mum and my dad, but I equally know in my own constituency lots of families headed up by single mums where a, a grandparent steps into the breach mm. um, you know or an uncle or an auntie and I think where you 've got You know, less traditional family structures, but there's still a connection with extended family members. I think that actually those children, um, you know, those parents actually have just as much support they need in order to raise their children because it is hard work. Um, It's very difficult uh, to raise a family entirely on your own, and where you've got support from other family members, I think that um, you know you've still got uh, you know consistency and stability for your children. Um, And I think that that it's important to recognise that we shouldn't just be tarring all families. That are not the traditional setup, as if somehow they're not good enough, uh, or those children are somehow doomed to do less well than life. Well, it's in interesting
4: life. you so mention that, should be, should be me, me, because there are negative. there are some uh, newspapers in uh, in particular that kind of do paint single mums. Well, as, as as scum of the earth, you know, as scroungers, they just they're having another baby because they want to get another bedroom and they want a bigger flat or or a bigger house. Now, uh, obviously, it, it, it's maybe one or two like that, but the majority, of course, are not like that. What what problems are you finding that single mums and it mainly is single mums? What problems are you finding that they're coming to you with?
18: Well, I mean, I, j- just to say, I think that the stigmatising single mums in that way is absolutely disgraceful. What they what they come to me with um, are issues around um, around jobs, around childcare. You know, many many of the young mums I meet uh, would like to get back to work. They would like to, you know, if they left school very young without any qualifications, they would like to go back to college or do an evening class. And the, the things that stand in their way are issues around childcare, um, and then also just not knowing how to get back into the job market um, if they've been out of it for a while or if they've never been in the job market, and not knowing how to navigate their way around that, and not necessarily finding the kind of uh, tailored support that they need uh, through the, the current work program that the government's introduced or the Job Centre more generally in order to get into work. So those are those are the issues, and obviously um, you know struggling uh, financially, uh, you know that they think that quite rightly the only way out of it um, is to get into work uh, and and improve their circumstances and usually what I come up against is the desperation of these people to find work and that is where I think that the debate should head I mean it's quite lazy actually and very easy for some journalists to uh, stigmatise and imply somehow that the state can legislate for people's relationships, Mm. you know, somehow pass a law that people have to stay together um, which is frankly not possible and not workable so instead of thinking about social stigmatization of people I think that we need to equip people with the basic tools they need jobs and housing in order to be able to live stable lives um, whether that's in traditional family setups or with extended family around you um, but in a stability to children because I think it's the stability that allows the children then to flourish at school where you've got a more chaotic setup um, where one person is struggling on their own, as anybody would do. You know, if you've got two or three children uh, who are very young, um, you know, I'm not a parent myself, uh, but, you know, the parents I know, it's an absolutely physically difficult job to do. It's 24-7. And um, and, and, and if you've got no support, um, of course, it's not that unexpected children might have some more chaos in their lives. And if you're able to get stability into people's lives, I think that's how you give children the very best chance they have to flourish, regardless of which family they come from, regardless of the setup that they have. But I'm, I'm absolutely convinced it's jobs and housing that are the key to that.
4: Shabana Mahmood, MP for Ladywood. Thank you very much indeed. Now, how many people there were shocked by what she said when she said that loads of the single mums that come to her are keen to get back into work. Because if you read certain newspapers, the Daily Mail and Daily Express, uh, they're all scroungers. These single mums, they're all scroungers. Oh, do you know what? I need some more money. I'm going to have another baby. That doesn't really... (laughs) Listen, trust me, babies are well expensive. That doesn't really happen. There might be one or two, as there are in everything. But if you want more money, you're not going to go and have another baby. Because babies are very, very expensive. I don't know if you knew that. And it is interesting that she, what she said there, that the, 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 lots of the single mums that come to her um, are looking for more work. I bet that surprised a few of you, hasn't it? Well, give me a call this morning. 08453 009956. Let's, let's open this up uh, to the whole kind of parenting spectrum, shall we? How important are dads? I would suggest they are very important. I would suggest... A good dad, well, it's important to both sex, kids of both sex. I would suggest a good dad is more important to the boys, isn't it? Isn't it? Because that that father is teaching that boy how to grow up, how to interact with women, how to interact with other men, how to, to kind of be responsible for your Manly actions? Manly actions? I haven't done manly actions for a while. I need to... I don't know what that means. A terrible choice of phrase. Uh, but maybe I've got that wrong. Give me a call. 08453 009956. We'll take some calls on this. Sarita and Vivian, we'll, we'll, we'll come to you um, in this, a few minutes after the travel. Just quickly going back... To what we were talking about in the first hour of the show, the uh, the incident in Tipton yesterday. I've just been handed uh, a, a few texts. Let's do two of these texts at random before we go to the travel. Uh, the thing about Islam, says uh, Mel, which worries people, is the belief that the it's Islam's aim to dominate the world and become the only religion. We who do not follow Islam are infidels. Ask a Muslim if this is true. That's Mel from Bilston. Okay, well I, I will be speak, I'm speaking to Muslims now. Is that true? eight oh, uh, four five three 453 double, oh, double, um, uh, okay uh, Chris in Albury says, you have such a lot of jokers on your programme. Just look at Syria, Egypt, Iraq, Pakistan, etc., and see who the biggest killers of Muslims are themselves. There might be some people who disagree with the figures for Iraq. British people in general have no interest in religion, and that is what Muslims do not understand. We have no uh, interest in their religion. 08453 009956. We'll speak to uh, Vivian and Sarita on uh, the importance of male role models in families. But now at a quarter to 11, let's get the travel. Morning, this is Ian Lee sitting in for Nick Comrade. It's a mixed bag this morning. We're going to lighten things up a little bit after 11. Don't panic. Mr. Mannering, don't panic. Um, we'll get back to uh, talking about how important fathers and uh, dads are as role models, but we have been talking uh, this morning. The big story, of course, on BBC WM is uh, the explosion that went off outside a mosque in Tipton uh, yesterday. Just a reminder for those who uh, may uh, may have missed it, the attack could have maimed hundreds of people, were it not for the fact that Friday prayers have been put back one hour because of Ramadan. Well, Our reporter, uh, Steve, is out there. Steve Herman. Steve, uh, I believe you've got to Guest with you.
5: Yes, good morning. I'm uh, here in Tipton on Victoria Road. Uh, Quite a bit of activity, even more activity now at the moment with fire and rescue trucks and police fans here, forensics coming and going. I'm with Councillor Ian Jones, one of the councillors in uh, the Tipton Green Ward here. And um, I mean, apart from all this hive of activity, you're keen, and everyone in the community is keen, to say it's, it's business as usual.
9: It is business as usual. In fact, it's more quiet than usual. Um, The only activity that we seem to be having is the police presence, obviously for the reasons that uh, we all know of. But the local community, whereas they were uh, interested last night in what was happening, um, there's very little. In fact, there's only a couple of uh, parents coming with uh, prams and a dog walking past, so... Um, it's very quiet at the moment, which is very good.
5: I mean, that's nice, because is that a message to whoever's behind this explosion yesterday afternoon, less than 24 hours since, is that a message to them to say Tipton will not be affected, Tipton will not be deterred?
9: Yeah, that's quite right. I think one of the uh, contributors on, on your programme today was saying this is the worst message to any of the extremists who want to uh, cause disharmony in Earth. In, in, uh, a community. Uh, it's business as usual. Uh, in a month's time we'll have a large community event where several thousand people will attend and we'll all have a, a good day. This is a very peaceful neighbourhood and the community gets on well with each other. Well, that's
5: Councillor Ian Jones joining us live on BBC WM this morning. It is a very peaceful scene, beautiful summer's morning here in Tipton with plenty of police activity, but everybody is keen to send across that message. As you said, Ian, don't panic.
4: Thank you very much, Stephen. we'll be speaking uh, to Steve Herman, our reporter, out uh, near the Tipton Mosque again before the end of the show. Um, Going back to this story... Parts of West Midlands, up to 70% of children, are now raised in households without their fathers. That figure has been disputed by uh, an MP from the area, but it kind of opens up the, the bigger debate, doesn't it, about single mums, they get such a bad press. Oh, single mum, scroungers. Oh, they're just having babies to get more money. <laughs> yeah, really? Babies are so expensive. I don't, if, if anyone is having a baby just to get more money, I suspect, you know, the, the, their head's not screwed on properly. And how important are dads? Do um, give us a call about this 08453 009956. Uh, Vivian, we'll come to you in a second. Uh, Sarita's on the line. Hello, Sarita. Hiya. Sarita, y- you've brought up your child without a dad, is that right? That is correct. Uh, tell me your, your story.
19: Um, what happened with me was, um, I came from a very traditional Indian family. Um, mother from the city in India, um, very educated, sophisticated woman. Um, looked like Minna Kumari in her young days. And, uh, father, like uh,
4: Oh, I don't know Minna you don't Kumari.
19: know Minna I'm shocked.
4: No, who is it? A, a, a famous star?
19: Yeah, it's a, it's a very, she's a very, very, she's the Marilyn Monroe of India. Whoa. And I'm very horrified that you don't know about her. Can, can, I, can, I, anyway. can I
4: redeem myself slightly? yes yeah. perdesi perdesi Janana hey is is, yeah. is that one you back in am i one back into your heart yes your heart definitely go. a little bit of perdesi oh, and uh, father, uh a typical rich
19: village rogue um kept. They both got married decided to move to england um kept traditions up much as we could when mm. we reached here um you know regularly praying and following all of the culture as much as we could, them inhibiting us as much as they could and protecting us from uh, this cliché Western culture, Um, you know. So this is how the childhood was, a very interesting childhood. Um, And then it just so happened that uh, my father and mother didn't get on, so my father wasn't really around, um, even to me as a child. So this could be something as why I feel quite strongly, because I think my mum... she was very educated and, uh, you know, she, she tried very hard and, and she did quite a good job with uh, me and my siblings. So um, I ended up travelling the world, having quite a few jobs, um, always being independent from a very early age. Um, having Not having a father made me and gave me that independence. Not having him around, I knew he was there, but, you know, it, the pain was more for me as a woman mm. Um, as a young girl and now a woman, not having that father figure unbelievably. From what I gather and what your your discussion is about, is about the fact that maybe you know father figures affect not having them there affect little boys more. But I feel quite differently. I feel little girls actually learn more from their fathers mm. than they do from their mothers because they make them stronger. But you
4: you've got kids now, to Have you? Yes,
19: I have. How many have you got? I've got, I've got a little boy. He's five. Yep. And. Um, I had him at the age of 35 because, unfortunately, because of our family breakdown and the traditional get married and everything, you know, all kind of fell apart. um, You know, I I waited to have an arranged marriage um, all the way up until I was 25 and, you know, nothing ever came along. And it was just um, it was just up in the air until my mother just finally said to me, you know, you you find somebody yourself. But there was a snag. He, He has to be Indian. You uh-huh. have to be Indian. And right. um, that was a very, very difficult thing uh, to do because a lot of Indian guys back in the 80s and 90s were from traditional families.
4: So they had arranged so, marriages.
19: There you go. Yeah. And, uh, and, and uh, obviously then your your family respect comes into it. And once they know your background, your father's not been around. And, you know, you're quite a westernised family. And, uh, you know, the, the way that I was was quite a little bit too much for them, really. Yeah. I uh-huh. think, you know, for what they were seeking back in the 80s and 90s. But now that we're year 2013 things had completely changed. So when I hit 35 and I met an Irish guy, yeah. and I fell in love, and um, unfortunately, by the time I'd got pregnant and uh, I'd, I'd fallen out of love, um, it was the biggest decision that I was ever going to make in my life that I was going to keep this child. It did have nothing to do with money, benefits. It was about love. Yeah. It was about being a mum. It was my opportunity, a 35-year-old woman, yeah. physically to be able to do this. And every night I prayed for guidance and every night I got the same answer, keep the child. Mm. Um, and the biggest, biggest hurdle was telling my family who are absolutely disgusted with me. They expected more of me. It was about their expectations and not what I wanted. So in the end, I just told them, if you're there, you're there. If you're not, you're not. And I said the, the same thing to you know uh, my baby's father. I said, if you're there, you're there 100% for this child. If you're not, then I prefer it if you just stayed out of our lives. But if you're ever ready to come back, hundred um, percent, you know, as as a, as a father figure um, in, in your son's life, we're here. But I will manage.
4: Now, you mean you say, when you say hundred percent, do you mean having a, a relationship with you as well yes. as with the boy? No,
19: no, no. Just with the boy. The relationship with the child, because all of this becomes yep. when you are a mother. You you know that child's in your in your belly for nine months. You know, um. even couples that are married, uh, you know, the, the, the father starts feeling jealous. You've heard these stories because the woman is more bothered about the child. She's looking after oh, yeah, the baby. Oh, yeah, yeah, I, I had that yeah. with my boys, definitely, yeah. yeah. Exactly, so th- this is the, the, the same the same sort of thing whether you're married or not or whether, but you so know,
4: does you're with, with this person. Sarita, just because time is against us and I, I, I'm finding this fascinating, d- d- does your does the father of your boy have nothing to do with him at all?
19: Yes, exactly, he has absolutely nothing. And is that completely
4: uh, his choice?
19: It's completely his choice. Completely his choice. You see, there's different dimensions to this single mum thing. There yeah. isn't just oh, this woman's here, she's had this baby. Oh, terrible. Yeah. Single mum. There are different dimensions, and everybody has different things in their life that they have to tackle. And this, for me, was the biggest. And I, uh, and, you know, I'm, I've been told, and I feel that I've been quite successful without um, the role model or so-called role model as a father yeah. for my son so far.
4: Well, to be honest, he sounds like way, he sounds guys. like a right little toe rag in that case. If you didn't want anything I to know. do with it. You're better off without. It. So does he I not? Have, does he not have any interest? Does he not send you a text once every six months no, asking how? No. What out,
19: like, he the... does is he just uh, he's, he just pays money. Oh, nice. He's, he's, he lives quite far out now. He's moved to Ireland, yeah. and um, you know he he just pays money in, into my bank account, which goes straight into my child savings account. If we need to use a little bit, we do. But generally, I work and I and I sort, you know work quite hard. I've got a house to run and um, obviously bills and things, and then I've got this little boy, and uh, I've got lots of uh, good friends and people that help out when I need.
4: Is your little and, boy? Uh, is that your little boy in the background?
19: Yes, he is playing in the garden, quite happy. Well done. And if somebody were to to walk in now, the last thing on their brain would be where's where's his dad because you could never tell. In fact, even when he started school, they were quite shocked when I, you know, in the process when I'd written on the form, you know, um, his father's details, but, you know, I am single and he wouldn't be picking him up from school and all those details. Does the
4: little boy not ask where daddy is? Oh, of course. And what do you say to him? How do you explain that?
19: Oh, do you know something? There is no use, and I learnt this the hard way, from being a child myself because Asian families, uh, especially traditional Asian families, have a way of uh, cotton budding things and making them sound like they're not. Um, To me, if my mum had just told me the truth about the situation, I don't think I would have missed that father figly love. I would have grown delinquent inside myself and stronger, which I did do later on. And I just told my little boy the truth. Mummy and Daddy didn't love each other, but Mummy decided to have you, even if Daddy wasn't around, because Mummy loves you so much and you made Mummy's dreams come true when you, you came into my life. And that is what I tell him. And those words, my little boy just turns around and he says well if we get a daddy we get one and if we don't
4: we don't and that's his attitude. Yes. I, I, I think you're right I think to at the, the, the age of five or even younger you have to be honest with them you can't start telling lies because yeah. when they find out you've been lying then how could you exactly. what are you going to do when he wants to go and find his dad which he will do one day.
19: Yes he will do one day we've discussed this and I said to him when you think that you want to see your daddy, when you are over, when you're at a good age, when you're over 10, even, because, you know, like the new 12 is a new 16 nowadays, isn't it? So, oh, Brian done. You know, I, I, said, I said to him, you know, mummy will support you. We will find him. But you have to be ready and you have to be strong and you have to be like a good, you have to be a strong, good man, even though you'll only be young. You have to be a man when you meet your dad. And you, you'll have so many things to say to him. But mummy will go with you. And then, if you feel you want to carry on seeing your Daddy, then that's good. But if Daddy is going to let you down and you feel you don't want to see him anymore, then you know you you know you can you can always be Mummy's always here. Well. And you know he's he's got so many good uh, father figures yeah. in his life, his uncles and friends that I've made, and you know he's seen families. Well. His dad's, his
4: dad's missing out. I can hear in the background, and he sounds like fun. Yeah. Final finally, Sarita. <laughs> can yes, can your is. can your boy whistle?
19: Um. Not quiet yet, oh. but he can do lots of other things. He never shuts up. Uh,
4: <laughs> I uh, can hear. I, yeah, he I want to teach, of... teach my boy. My boy's three and a half. I want to teach him to whistle tomorrow, oh, but I don't know a, how to teach him. It'll
19: be a mission. It'll be a mission. Do you know what? More than anything else, the whistling and everything else, yeah. the main thing to teach them is just to be strong yeah. um, in, in the person that you are. Because, you know, if he was a little boy who was living with his father and he didn't have the mother, yeah. I think that would have affected him incredibly.
4: Sarita, been, lovely hmm. to talk to you. It sounds like you're doing a cracking job with your boy. Keep up the good work. Thank you very much for that. Yes, teaching him to be strong is important. But tomorrow, teaching him to whistle is even more important. I, I hate to say that. It, I, this is the mission. Thank you very much, Rita. Fascinating story there. She seems to be surviving well without the dad. Vivian, we'll come to you after uh, the news. How important is a father figure to a young child? And if you're a single mum, you're a scrounger, sponging off the state. That's what some people would have you believe. How do you react when you hear that? And more importantly... How on earth do I teach a a three-and-a-half-year-old to whistle tomorrow? I can do it. It's easy to whistle. I just don't know how to communicate that information. 08453 009956. You can send me a text, 81333. Start your text, WM, and maybe I'll speak to you after the latest news. BBC WM 95.6 Teachers, if you
1: don't like it, get out of it. Pensioners who
2: can't do anything to boost their income. Abduction? Uh, As far as I'm
1: aware, she actually went willingly. Ian Lee, Saturdays. 9 till 12. BBC WM
4: 95.6 this is Ian Lee sitting in for Nick Comrade. I'm here this week. I'm here next week, and then Nick is back. He'll be back wearing a ring on his finger. Well, I assume he'll be wearing a ring on his finger. Not everyone wears wedding rings, which I think is very, very odd. Not every man, in particular, wears wedding rings, which I'm always a little bit suspicious of. Why would you not advertise the fact by having a little ring on your finger? Anyway, going off on a slight tangent already. I'll save that for a bit later on. Uh, Talking about lots of things uh, this morning, we're asking, does every child need a dad? We'll speak to Vivian in Burton-on-Trent in a bit. That's after uh, the figures reveal that in parts of the West Midlands up to 70% of kids are now raised in households without their fathers. I need help. How do I teach a -a three-and-a-half-year-old boy to whistle, for goodness sakes? Also between now and 12... We'll be talking about prostitutes. I, I know, it's a, it's a diverse mix. We'll be asking, when was the last time you cried? I do love, I do love a good cry. Oh, I love a good cry. I get, I there was Recently, there was a McDonald's advert that made me cry. Oh, I was in floods of tears. When was the last time you cried? 81333, start your text, uh, WM, and we'll have the latest on the developments in Tipton.
1: Call 08453
4: 9956. Ian Lee on BBC WM 95.6. The reason we're talking about crying is uh, producer Joe, who has been very, very kind to me the last few weeks. I'm sure she's hideously rude about me when I've gone, but when I'm here, she's nice, and that's all that counts as far as I'm concerned. Uh, Her little boy, five-year-old little boy, got his first ever school report. And you know it was... What's he going to say in a a school report for a five-year-old? Needs to pay more attention. Focus more. Disrupt. No, they're going to say nice things. And so she got a little bit teary-eyed, which is nice. Then Dad read it. He had to leave the room. He was sobbing. Full-on sobbing. He had to leave the room. Good for him, I say. Well done. I embrace cry I'm a big fan of crying. I don't do it as much now. Um, I'm trying to think. The last, well, last time I cried was when my dad died and uh, earlier this year. But before that, when was the last time I cried? I used to cry a lot. Phil, I can't watch. My wife's favourite film is E.T. Oh, I couldn't watch that with her. Oh, I'd be, in fl- I'd be doing the just got uh, something in my eye thing or, or hoping she'd look away so I could very quickly dab the eye. And then I would have to leave and have a little. <laughs> And then go back in. I'm constantly crying. I cry too much, me. I'll probably have a little cry on the on the, the drive home later on. So when was the last time you had a good cry and what was it about? Can you give us a call on that. Um I'm a a I'm a fan of crying. I wait four five three double double nine five six. On the subject of, uh, and I'm throwing all these things out. You can call in about any of them. It's uh, the last hour. is always a little bit higgled, higgledy-piggledy, isn't it? Which I think is, uh, uh, is quite good fun. On the subject of dads and father figures, it's Vivian in Burton-on-Trent. Morning, Vivian. Hello there. Vivian, what's your take on this?
15: Yes, um, well, I'd see, years ago, when I was a young child, I'm 70 now, I'd see my dad about once every three weeks, occasionally, at the weekend. And in the... Uh, latter part of the day, because he was on shift work with a pit. It was a deputy and a shop fire. So you you didn't see much
4: of him, that was because of work?
15: Well, yeah, he'd he'd be... um, If he was on nights then, he'd go about um, half past eight, because he'd walk there to get there for ten. And then, of course, he never had transport back then. And then he'd um he'd come home like like about what six in the morning, seven in the morning. I'd be going just about wake up go to school, I go to school, come back, He'd still being bed resting, ready to go. So to on work. those
4: times those times when you did see him once every few weeks didn't Oh, it was lovely. It was well, lovely. Did, did, and and was he happy to hang out with you and play with you and do stuff?
15: Yeah, of course he was. Yeah. But the old thing about it is Uh, Back then, you had extended families, grandparents, aunts, uncles. Yeah. For a few years ago, when the CPR came in, all that stopped because when they brought the CPR in, Child Protection Register... Oh, yes. um, ..at the time, until they rescinded it, uh, when... Mothers with children were looking for childcare. Yeah. They wanted the the grandparents to help out and the uncles and aunts to help out, but they found they'd have to pay so much to get a CPR for them. So it split the family. Oh, OK. Right. And ever since then, um, uh, the young parents have more or less been abandoned by the... Uh, Extended families to get on with their own they're married
4: or not. I think the CPR. I think you're confusing things slightly. I think the CPR is is a, is a list of children who who need protection because they're yeah, at risk. Yeah, of and, harm. And, well, I honestly. Are you talking about the, the the yeah? I think you're talking about the the parent when um, I can't think of what it's called now. Oh, the I DRB, can't the possibly CRB, that. the CRB. Anyway, yeah, anyway. Possibly, so, but yeah, the thing where they have to get money out of them. Yes, they
15: they had, they had to register and be certified. To work with children. Oh, the, well, the hang on
4: a second. What's the? That what? was years. That was years ago. Yeah. Right? Why, what's the? Why is the CRB stopping d- dads seeing their kids? I'm getting no, confused. No, not now. Not now. I'm getting confused, I'm, Vivian. I'm, I'm, I'm,
15: hang on. Let Vivian, me explain. explain. Let me explain. Right, you Let's explain. Stop, not stopping sta- It's not yes. stopping
4: dads. Oh, it, it's stopping, stopping men. It, it's stopping men working so with children.
15: Ago, when I was a child, what? I could rely on um, my. Uh, <laughs> My uh, father figure being my, not father figure, but my man figure being my uncle or
4: my granddad. But you're I saying that you're I saying the support. CRB is stopping uncles. Well, it was. No, it was no. Because Vivian, the they... CRB has never stopped uncles because hanging out they... with their nephews.
15: Yeah, hang on, let me explain. But, okay. There was, there was stories in the paper. Okay. And it was on the radio. What the the the, the, the CRB about, check where you have to. About when mothers and fathers, mothers were looking for child care. Yeah. help with child care, looking after their children, babysitting and yeah.
4: all that. Yeah.
15: And they wanted the, the grandparents...
4: Yeah.
15: ..and uncles and aunts to yes. babysit for them. Yes. They were going to have to get them certified... Complete
4: as. Complete and utter... Tosh, with the greatest no, of respect, Vivian. It that's it nonsense. It, it was, was well. That it report retorted. was 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 uh, written by Noddy. With the greatest of respect, I don't know who with the greatest of respect, Vivian. Let me put your mind at rest, okay? <laughs> the, the, it, it, it... I know it, it, it
15: doesn't apply
4: now. And it it didn't. Then. It. Uh, uncles and grandparents have never had to get a CRB check to look after their own their own relatives, well, Vivian. Well, listen, we'll 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 leave it there. Uh, <sighs> No wonder I was getting confused, because it was nonsense. Uh, th- th- trust me, you, you, I, I've, I, had to, I, I, I worked at Great Ormond Street for a while, I got a CRB check, I'm a big fan of CRB checks, because it stops naughty people working with vulnerable people. But at no point ever has an uncle had to get a CRB to look after their niece or nephew. Just Let's just stop that now, shall we? It's a shame. I wanted to ask uh, Vivian when was the last time he cried. But we didn't get to. We got so mired down in uh, nonsense that uh, I thought it was best to move on. 08453 009956. When was the last time you cried? Um, on the subject of uh, what happened uh, yesterday, the events in Tipton, it's Barry in Tamworth. Morning, Barry. Morning, Ian. Barry, what's your yeah, take on this?
20: The feedback I appear to be getting from this log is that, uh, the, you know, when the aging call come come up, the to have a problem... When uh, the likes of me or whatever, uh, uh, we uh, uh, take uh, any crime committed terrorism, like or, you know, what happened in in Rockstar or whatever, when we label these people as uh, Islamist or uh, Muslims or Asians per se. And uh, I mean, what, what, I mean what, what, why, the suggestion I've got right, the way this country's good, so what we should do, if the likes of me or Dorian come on, and we want to make, have an, express an opinion. What we should say about these people, so they don't take umbrage, is that we call them model citizens, right? You know, I'll just come on and say, instead of saying Islamist or Muslim, i say the model citizens. And then if they come on and they want to express an opinion about me, they just say, Sec-, you know,
4: second class citizen. I don't, I, I'm not sure I get your point, Barry. Well, 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 I've explained it, I think, well enough here. I, 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 with, with, with respect, sir, I don't think you have. I, what's this about first-class and second-class citizens? Well,
20: the way this country's going, I think, you know, like, I think we're, the likes of the white working class are being treated as second-class citizens. By, by whom? And, and that's not, Dean. and I'm not on my own
4: on this. By whom? I mean, who is uh, who is treating you as a second-class citizen, Barry?
20: Well, I'll just get, you know, it's, it's the way things are going in this country. Who is treating you I mean, as a I second-class citizen? I mean, tell you what, like the, like the Asians, they play, you know, they play the race card, right? i tell you, if I could play cards, right, like the Asians play the race card, I'll tell you what, I'd be banned from every casino um,
4: in the world. I'm going to give you one more opportunity before cutting you off. Uh, who is treating you as a second-class citizen?
20: Well, I think uh, the uh, Asians seem to get what they want they get.
4: How? And, uh, we, can get, did, did, we can go and get did, procreated. Did the Asians want a bomb in their mosque yesterday? Probably not, I and mean, they yeah, got
20: every, it. Hold, hold on, everybody's, uh, the, the, everybody's saying that this, uh, it's uh, it's an crime. Until they get the perpetrators, uh, the, the, nobody knows who's done this. It's like, I mean, I, 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 the other day I was on the way, and I said, it, for, uh, who knows, it could be, that they're trying to cause discontentment and disillusionment, uh, you know, and uh, that's I mean, I'm not saying they are a lot, but it could be. You know, I mean, nobody knows till the, the perpetrators are caught. You know, I mean, we just can't say hate crime straight away without. I mean, nobody knows any facts. I mean, I mean, you just just can't go on and say hate crime until you know until facts are known and, Thank- and the perpetrators are caught.
4: Thanks for calling, Barry. All right. Well, here we go. Sometimes I get great joy from jo- doing uh, this job. Sometimes I get very, very depressed from doing this job, and that was a case of me being very, very depressed. Well, how do you feel? Do you, do you feel, uh, as a white, uh, working-class person, as I think Barry describes himself, do you feel a second-class citizen, really? The Asians get everything they want, and we, um, speaking on Barry's behalf, we don't. I don't quite know what that means. Not quite sure what that means. 08453 009956. We're a little bit late, but let's get the travel. He's good, Adrian. I've been listening to him a lot this week. He does a cracking show. I thoroughly recommend you tune in listen. Good afternoon. No, good afternoon. Good morning. Calm down. Calm down. It's only 17 minutes past 11 in the a.m. This is Ian Lee sitting in for Nick Comrade. Nick would never have got the a.m. p.m. differentiation wrong. Oh, no. I've got one more week of filling in for him next week, and then Nick will be back, so don't panic. Uh, You can give us a call about all the things we've talked about. Crying, uh, the events yesterday in Tipton, uh, teaching children to whistle. And how important are dads? There's a lot there, isn't double there? 08453 00956. I'm going to throw something else into the mix as well now. Prostitution. Police have made a number of arrests over the last few months in a crackdown on prostitution in parts of Wolverhampton. Officers say that prostitution had traditionally been a problem for many years and that the majority of the women officers encountered are um, are involved in selling sex to fund a drug addiction. Well, what's the best way to tackle prostitution? Should we legalise it or try our best to stop it altogether? I guess there are three kind of main groups involved here. And if you you fit into any of these categories, then give me a call. The prostitutes themselves, maybe you do work uh, as a prostitute. Why do you do it? I'm guessing that most of you won't be doing it because it's great fun. It's a great way to earn a bit of extra cash. I would imagine that's unlikely. So why do you do it? The second group of people are the people that use prostitutes. Do you feel guilty about it? Do you feel you are exploiting these uh, poor women? Or do you think, well, hang on, listen, they're prepared to offer a service, I'm paying a few quid, it's it's a business transaction, what's the problem with it? The third group of people are the residents. I know there are some areas uh, um, th- all around the country, but uh, in Birmingham, the black country in particular, where y- this is happening on suburban streets. You might have working girls walking up and down your street late at night. I know of some places where young women are afraid to go out late at night because they might get propositioned. You, are you working tonight, love? you got a job on? Can uh, it, it happens. So, if you fit into any of those categories, 08453 9956, we can speak now to Councillor Bishan Das about how they're dealing with the problem in Wolverhampton. Good morning, Councillor. What, what's happening there?
21: Hello. Good morning, Ian. Uh... This is Councillor Bishindaz from Bullhampton. Uh, I represent a tincture ward, and the Steelhouse Lane area comes in a tincture ward. And the Steelhouse Lane uh, area has always been a hotspot for this sort of uh, anti social behavior activity.
4: Is this a residential area? For those who don't know it, are there houses there?
21: uh one side is houses the other side is industrial and
4: what kind of problem is it is it girls you know walking up and down at night
21: yeah they stop by somewhere sometime on uh, telephone boxes or uh, redundant buildings and they stop on the footpath uh uh, that's how it
4: happened and 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 men are pulling up in their cars and then they're going off and Men pulling up their
21: cars and the Uh, Well, over the past years, uh, police has uh, prosecuted so many uh, car crawlers, you know, and they're taken to court, and uh, there was a huge publicity, uh, I think, about two, three years ago. Some uh, well-educated, well-paid, respected people, uh, they came from outside, they were caught into that sort of... uh, activities mm-hmm. and... Uh, but so the land. problem's
4: come back, has it?
21: Well, uh, can I say, uh, the police, uh, they done everything. They have been involved, uh, you know, chasing uh, prostitutes, girls, young girls, even underage girls. Yes. And uh, they've done everything. And uh, what happened, uh, police increased their activities in one part of the uh, area, and the girls move on to the next part or next road or next street. They keep moving on, and when police keep chasing them, they move across the borough to Walsall or somewhere to Sandwell. And when they were pestered or chased over there by the police, they come back to Bullwountain. So it's a vicious circle. So
4: the police making arrests and going and speaking to the girls isn't working. What else can you do to tackle the problem? <laughs>
21: is very, very difficult. Uh, recent l- changes in legislation are uh, making it difficult for a to work work, and uh, uh, severe penalties, are don't think they are working. Police prosecute somebody. It takes such a long time for police to prepare all the casework, all the paperwork and give it to... Uh, Crime prosecution officers and uh, taking them to court, and in the court, these girls they get away with five pound fine or twenty or
4: two hundred. The thing is as well, uh, Abishan, I would imagine that these girls don't have much money anyway, and if they get if they get a a fine twenty quid, fifty quid, they'll go out and work to pay the fine.
21: Well, they never pay fine. (laughs) Mm. That's another thing, you know. You have to uh, take them to court to uh, pay the fine, you know. And uh, in the court, they say we haven't got anything. Can I say another thing? You certainly you can, mentioned, sure, You mentioned, yes. uh, mentioned uh, legalised, uh, you know, outside the city or is, is legal?
4: Yes, is, is, is legalised prostitution the way to go?
21: I don't think it will work. I uh, know some other countries, you know where there is a legalised sort of thing, but it still works in a residential area. They do come to a residential area.
4: Uh, So if that's that's not the answer, Bishan, you've got to do something. Do do, do these girls, instead of being punished, do they not need our help? You say there are underage girls, 14-, 15-year-old girls. They need help, don't they?
21: Well, we have been uh, providing help. Our local, uh, you know... Uh, public health officers and others, you know, they have been involved uh, bringing in helping underage girls. But there is, I was going to mention there is another group who is actually uh, running a prostitution business forcing girls onto the state. Right. They are the real culprit. Right. And it's very difficult to catch them. Police have been able to, you know, arrest and uh, taken them to court over the last couple of years yes. and it's slightly reduced in this area yeah. right it used to be you know a great deal of problem is gradually uh, you know coming back to the area again yeah and uh, i think you know rather than going up to the girls i think the police need to concentrate people behind this uh, wreckage of... Do they know...
4: Do, sorry to interrupt, Bishop, but without naming any names, do the police know who these people are?
21: Uh, well, uh, I don't think uh, uh, there is anything difficult for the police to yes. find out from the girls. They had been able uh, to find... Uh, they have been very successful in... Uh, pursuing prosecution, uh, prosec- uh, prosecution of those who are actually running this business.
4: Prosecution of the forcing prostitution. the
21: girls uh, into business, and, uh, you know, it's a vicious circle, as I said.
4: Bishan, is, is funding a problem for, for, for this? Are, are there not? We were hearing about police forces having to, you know, cut their budgets everywhere. Is, is that part of the problem, you think, that you just haven't got the money to throw at this?
21: While well, there is a funding problem as well, but even when there was no funding problem or less funding problem, even then it was difficult to, you know, overcome this problem. I don't know, uh, you know, what's the right answer to this problem.
4: I, 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 I think I know the answer. I yeah. genuinely think I know the answer. You've got, you got two options, Bishop. Yeah. You either have a massive blitz. Of policing, where the police are out every night for two months and they arrest everybody, zero tolerance. Oh. You either have that, or you do what they do, what they did in Ipswich, which helped the. I don't know if you remember. A few years ago, yeah. there was uh, the five prostitutes were murdered by a chap called Steve Wright. Yeah, very, Yeah, very horrific. And what they did in Ipswich, as well as um, kind of blitzing for a month or so, they also had a five-year plan where they went out and they helped. The prostitutes. I know there will be some people going, what? But they went out, they found out the reasons they were working as prostitutes. They helped get them uh, homes. They, if they were in violent relationships, they helped get them out of violent relationships. They helped them find out what benefits they were entitled to. If they had drug problems, they got them uh, into rehabilitation centres. If there were underage prostitutes, they got them with foster care. They went out yes. and helped the girls.
21: Can I can kind of say here? Do. We done the police done. They have gone through all this what you have explained. Uh, with the help of social worker, with the help of health visitors, they have done everything over the past two years. We have a lot of underage girls, but the problem is still there. When you saying uh, why can't the police have, you know, blisters over the, you know, in you know, say two months or, or month or two months, yep. the problem is, uh, you know, these girls operate particularly, you know, uh, over the weekend, yep. Friday, uh, Saturday nights. Yep. And Friday, Saturday night, we need police present, heavy police present in of the city centre. Do. Of course you do. So, because of the nighttime economy, because of the pubs and clubs operating there, and our city... They have at least twenty thousand visitors to city only on Friday and Saturday nights, right? Yep. I have been on a nighttime, you know, going around uh, with the police. I'm, I chair the licensing committee, just to see how nighttime economy is working, and you need police there to withdraw police from there onto this sort of problem, antisocial behaviour, prostitute use problem, will leave a vacuum in the city centre. So you have, you know, limited resources. If you try to yeah. move them from there to other area, you are leaving other area behind with the vacuum. So, you know, that's not on. I understand that the police has, uh, you know, diverted extra resources onto uh, the prostitute areas but they can't withdraw all the police or majority of the police officers onto all saints' area. That's very difficult.
4: But Bisham, we have to end it there. Thank you very much. That's Councillor Bisham Das, um, talking about the prostitution problem in Wolverhampton. You can give us uh, a call on that, 08453 009956. We can cross back now live uh, to Tipton. I can speak, I think we've got to Imam Ghulam Rasul, who is the imam at the central uh, Jamia Mosque. Good morning, Ghulam. Good, good, morning. Uh, what, what have you been uh, allowed in the mosque yet to have a look? No, no the police cordon
22: has been scaled back slightly. Yep. Uh, there, is, uh, there is there is more uh, movement than yesterday, but still the cordon is still around, around the mosque itself. When did you so find? Nobody has any access.
4: When did you find nobody out ha- that a bomb had gone off?
22: I actually was uh, leading prayers in another mosque and I started getting phone calls about 1.30 and uh, I just was slightly s- finding it a bit strange that people called me during uh, Friday prayer time and then as soon as I finished I leading the Friday prayers I checked and then I found and somebody said to me Mr. Rasulah, we heard there's been a bomb incident and what had ha- happened is because the, the worshippers had come to the mosque and because of the threat and, and the evacuation they actually had gone to other mosques to pray and so it became highlighted within other mosques, and other mosques had announced it and uh, uh, the whole news spread so quickly and then within the whole community.
4: How did it make you feel, Gulen, when when you heard the news?
22: Uh, Initially I was very shocked, I couldn't believe it It, uh, uh, like uh, anybody else. Uh, but I knew that once it happened, it's a very serious, serious situation. So I made my way down here. I spoke to the local management committee, the board of trustees, and we coordinated a response. We, we wrote, uh, help writer, uh, well, I wrote the statement, which went out yesterday. And, uh, you know, that ho- hopefully was able to deal with the situation in a very mature and a very measured way.
4: And have you spoken to um, people who would normally be using the mosque? What have they said to you?
22: Uh, well, since uh, the incident, unfortunately, uh, the mosque uh, services have been disrupted, prayer services have been disrupted. Uh, the mosque was rescheduled for people to pray in the local community centre, but people generally haven't chosen to go, go anywhere else to pray. So since yesterday evening, the late evening prayers, the sunset prayers, the twilight prayers, and this morning's pre-dawn prayers, dawn prayers all have been uh, prayed at home. So it's a big, massive disruption spiritually in the psyche of the worshipper, especially in the month of Ramadan.
4: Can I read you two texts we've had from listeners, both very, very different in their tone. The first one, Gulam, is uh, from Bill. Ian, I think we should positively celebrate the community response to the Tipton bomb. All the British uh, people of Tipton and beyond, no matter what their religious beliefs, should come together, support each other, and in a single voice, say, not on our patch. That's from Bill. And then on the opposite side of the spectrum, we've got a, a text from Charles. And I, I, I'm afraid to say that Charles's view is slightly more representative of the text we've had. Let's have a look at every country that's been overrun by Islam, shall we? Peaceful utopias, aren't they? No. Tell your Islamophile commie, this was um, the doctor that we had in earlier, and Dr Chris Allen, to shut up, you're not helping. You're just winding people up even more by yet again defi- def- defending these wonderful, peaceful, honourable Muslims who wouldn't fly aeroplanes into buildings or blow up trains, massacre schoolchildren, blow up buses. Um, that's from Charles. How do you react when you hear something like that, Gulam? I think if people need to be educated. I
22: think the education system in Britain doesn't talk about diversity and multiculturalism in a, in a global context. We have Christian quarters, Jewish quarters, Buddhist quarters within the Arab world. We have them within Pakistan. You find churches, iconic churches, in Pakistan as well, in Kashmir. So I think people really need to understand that Christianity, Islam, uh, Judaism, Hinduism are global religions, and they have presence globally. Now, when people, and through migration, when when the people of of India and Pakistan and Kashmir came to Britain, it was support Britain redeveloping itself uh, after post World War II. Now that kind of history gets missed and I think there's a big issue, there's a big gap in education we study about the Eskimos, we study about the Vikings, we study everything else but because we live in a global world today, we need to uh, have contextual history which shows how cultures work and how the migration works and how cultures and migration bring diversity and bring strength to places uh, there is a there is a general understanding if all the migrants left in Britain uh, there aren't a, there aren't enough workers within Britain to continue with the whole workforce
4: and, and now, finally just just not- so I just interrupt just a, a nod to Bill's text he's right the, the response uh, from the local residents and uh, users of the mosque it has been uh, it's been very respectful hasn't it dignity yes, i think the the
22: main thing that we've looked at is a we see this as a criminal act unfortunately the police have escalated this to a, a terrorism act already but we see this as a criminal act uh, act uh, of some nature until it's proven and, and and investigated we won't go down that down that path secondly uh, we've asked for calm and unity thirdly this community is very very strong we're very integrated very multicultural and if you have a time, ever cover time to come down, it's quite. We have a very beautiful park, a very beautiful library, beautiful beautiful mosque, very beautiful community, and even the hot weather seems to draw that beauty out. Uh,
4: imam Gulam Russell, it's lovely to talk to you. Thank you very much. The Imam at the Central uh, Jamia Mosque. Let me just read some more of these um, texts. Eight one triple three. Start your text. Wm. Uh, Ian, sorry to pick up on a point that Ranjit made. Uh, this was a gentleman who called us earlier on about the the grooming case. We were told not racial, but when the injured party is ethnic. Always racial, i.e. the elderly gentleman killed on way home from mosque, no evidence but deemed racial, and calls police not doing enough. It's unfortunate fact that not all murders are solved, regardless of colour, religion, age or creed. Um, Ian, I've just seen a police van in Camp Hill Roundabout and a large graffiti of swastika, Zionist star and the initials EDL painted on one of the buildings. Let me just do one more of these. Uh, Ian, you asked why people are Islamophobic. I'm fearful about Great Britain's future. A few years ago, a Muslim man was on the news saying he would only be happy when a black flag was flying over Parliament. So one bloke. okay, right. I've noticed a huge increase in Indian councillors and MPs. When we get to them being the majority, can they force Sharia law upon us? Well, no, if they're Indian, the odds are they're probably not Muslim. So they won't be promoting Sharia law. And, no, they can't force Sharia law upon us. Hope this is putting your mind at ease, Kel, in Birmingham. Also, another Muslim leader said that the Muslims wanted to take over Great Britain and told Muslims to breed, breed, breed. Watch any Midlands Today report from a school in Birmingham and all the kids are Indian. I'm worried that Great Britain will be a little India and no-one will try to stop it for fear of being branded a racist. Why would you want to stop it, embrace it? I grew up in Slough uh, in the 70s and the 80s, and even in the 70s and the 80s, there was a huge Indian uh, and Pakistani and Bangladeshi and Kashmiri community, and it was brilliant! It was brilliant! You, get to go, you got to go to a mate's house, you got some of the best food in the world! If you went to a different mate's house a couple of nights a week, within a month, you'd, you'd, you'd eaten yourself around the globe. It was incredible.
22: Wow!
4: Oh, dear. You can give us a call this morning, of course. 08453 9956. We'll get to John in, uh, in a second on the subject of crime, but we've been talking about prostitution uh, in Wolverhampton. Gerald's in Wolverhampton. Morning, Gerald. Good morning to you. What, what side of this are you on? I
23: travelled Steelhouse Line to work for many years. Yep. And I can assure you that prostitution always existed there for 50 years. And unless the police uh, get a presence, a permanent presence, in that lane, it will always be known as a prostitute's um, area. And everybody knows about it in Wolverhampton. It's no good, that chap going on. He's got to do something about getting the police there every day, every night. And I think he'll wipe it out.
4: If well, Will it wipe it out, uh, Gerald, or will well, it just move it half a will. mile down the road?
23: I don't think he will, because they do move down the road. But that particular area is noted for it. Mm. And it it isn't... Um, there aren't so many houses in that area at this moment in time. So it's just a through road uh, to another estate. And, you know, if you're but- lucky, there's one standing on the corner in... A, in a factory or something like
4: that. The councillor said that there were. Are, are there some houses on that street? There are very. There are very few. But even even if there are very few, imagine if you live on that street. and You've got kids or something. You don't want to. You know, be looking out the window and seeing that happening at no, night. No, I.
23: Is I, the. No, you don't. I agree with you. But the funny part about it, there's been a church there for a hundred years. Oh.
4: That's a bitter irony, isn't it? Oh, Gerald, is, oh, the answer, go, is, the answer, is the answer that we, um, we give the prostitutes like an area of a, of a trading estate or something like that and we say, right, from 10 o'clock at night to 6 o'clock in the morning you can go and stand on the corner in this trading estate and we will turn a blind eye, it's not near residence, you just get on with it.
23: Yeah, or issue your raffle tickets. Sorry? Or issue your raffle ticket. A raffle ticket? <laughs> for, for the ladies? No, somebody buy one, and if it's their lucky night, they put the raffle ticket up on the uh, on the frame, sort of thing.
4: And what do they get? I don't want it, Gerald, I, I, want don't, I don't want to know what they get. I don't want to know... Well, I, I get a shock, I should imagine, there we go. the cost. There we go. Thank you very much indeed. I've literally no idea what those last two phrases meant from Gerald, and I'm, I'm not going to investigate further, because I fear it could be very, very shocking. I, 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 the, I suggest in Wolverhampton, they've got a few options, haven't they, really? They give the, the prostitutes an area... And it's not an area I know particularly well, it's been a long time since I've been there, but there must be a trading estate or an industrial estate somewhere, and they say, right, between t- it's nowhere near residence, there aren't any houses here, all these offices and factories are shut, between 10 o'clock at night, 6 o'clock in the morning, you girls can work here, we will turn a blind eye. As long as you clean up afterwards, there's no detritus, I think, you know what I mean, uh, lying on the floors, as long as you're not openly doing drugs, you go and hang out there, get on with it, and you'll be safe. They, they can do that, that's an option or they do uh, they do a, a blitz where they send the police in every day and every night for two months and they arrest everybody that that curb crawls or they do you do a long several year plan where you help the women that's the other option isn't it i, I, I didn't sound shocked when uh, councillor bishan das mentioned the fact there are underage girls because i've heard that before imagine that how sad is that there are kids underage girls means kids there are kids walking the streets in Wolverhampton working as prostitutes. Now, however much the idea of prostitution may disgust you, we can't prosecute that. We can't prosecute a 15-year-old girl, can we? She needs help. She needs help now before, you know, suddenly she's a 35-year-old woman working. She needs Something needs to be done, doesn't it? And arresting her and giving her a fine or a slap on, that's not going to work. 08453 9956. I've been talking about crying as well. Producer Joe, her son, got his first school report. She was a little bit teary. A little bit teary. Missed it up, I think is the phrase. Her son... uh, Her uh, husband, sorry, was was in floods of tears. He had to leave the room. When was the last time you cried? John in Sheldon, when was the last time you cried, John? 2005. Oh, that's a very specific date. Can I ask why? Yes, well,
0: around that time, I I live in a small cul-de-sac and... We needed work doing by the council, and I'm very often called in to see John Hemmings. Oh, yes. The MPP at his office yeah. uh, to discuss it. And whenever I spoke to John, I always spoke in a very firm voice so we both understood what we were talking about. Yes. And intended, not that I wasn't disrespectful. No, you're firm. I uh, always do, you know, and then you got no comeback. No. Um, but on a Friday afternoon in 2005, yeah. two police, female police officers, was shot in Bradford.
22: Oh yes, of course. One was
0: murdered. Yep. The other one f- thankfully survived. And I called in to see John Hemmings on the Saturday morning, the following morning, on the Saturday morning about quarter to twelve, to ask him to ensure that he gave <coughs> excuse me, he gave the police and the police federation all the support he could give. And during that conversation, halfway through I completely broke down in tears. Yeah. John sat there, totally shocked, and one of his helpers had to give me a glass of water. On that Saturday afternoon, later, I was sitting alone at home, and it wasn't until a friend of mine phoned me and we were having a conversation, and the subject came up about this police, obviously, being murdered, that I was told that she was the mother of five... (coughs) Excuse me. Five children. Bless you. Um, Three she'd given birth to, and two that she had adopted, and I was in a far worse state then. It we John, Johnny, are you crying uh, now? or Is, is this hay fever
4: attacking you? No,
0: I, I, I get emotional when I talk about this.
4: Uh, you get emotional uh, and sneeze. Yes. No,
0: I'm coughing.
4: Oh, sorry. Uh, I apologise. Sorry. Uh, I can hear. I can hear the emotion uh, in your yeah, voice. Yeah, yes. Uh,
0: and I, when I was told that she was the mother of five children,
4: yeah.
0: And I was sitting alone. I was. I was in a worse state when I spoke to Johnny. <laughs> i 've never been so angry and upset about uh, anything uh, similar to that incident I think it was absolutely
4: disgraceful it's it, things like that are heartbreaking and being a dad myself, I think that because you you, you just imagine what those little kiddies are going to uh, are going to go through aren 't you and that someone 's going right. to explain yeah. to them what 's happened and why them why their mummy isn 't there anymore and yeah. it 's uh, he, he, he is Well, John, I, I think that displays a, a great sense of empathy and a great humanity there for you to cry for someone like that.
0: Well, I, I, on that Saturday morning, Tony, Tony Butler used to do the uh, Saturday morning phoning. Oh, yeah. And I was the very first caller on air at five past nine. Yeah. And I spoke to Tony and I about it and how disgusted I it was about it. And I asked all his listeners to contact their MP to ensure that their MP gave their full support to the police and the police federations. That's why I called in to see John Evans myself on this Saturday morning, about quarter to 12.
4: Well, John, listen, I-, I appreciate you sharing that story with us, and I can hear the emotion in your voice even now. And you're right, I- I- it's hard not to get choked up, isn't it, when you hear about um, uh, a parent being murdered, you know, and you just think, well, oh, how on earth is someone going to explain that to that little kitty, John, I, I really appreciate your call. 08453 009956. When was the last time you cried? Here's something. Have you ever cried when a celebrity died? I remember... I, ha- have a think, because I have. I've done, it, I've done it quite a few times. I'll tell you the last celebrity uh, I, I cried at when they died after this. Boom, boom. Bomb! It needs that! That trail really annoys me. It's a cracking show, but it needs that little sting at the end. I'm going to have to write to my MP. Hello, this is Ian Lee. (laughs) I'm going to. This is Ian Lee, sitting in for Nick Comrade, here between... Well, I've got another 12 minutes or thereabouts of the show before uh, Tammy takes over at midday. I'm here next week, one more week. I hope that's not too tedious for you. You've been very patient and you've been very polite putting up with me. Uh, I appreciate that. Well, lots of stuff we discussed this morning. Prostitution. Uh, Tipton, We'll go back to Tipton uh, in a little bit as well. I'm just waiting for the thumbs up to know that we can uh, we can go over there. Uh, but I guess for the last 15 minutes of the show, when was the last time you cried? And uh, have you ever cried at the death of a celebrity? I remember poo-pooing... Uh, that's a great phrase, isn't it? Poo-pooing. I remember poo-pooing the, the people who cried at Whitney Houston's death. Turns out producer Joe cried at Whitney Houston's death. I'm going to Whitney Houston, for goodness sakes. Uh, But I've cried a a, a few... I cried when George Harrison of The Beatles died. Oh, oh, George, my favourite Beatle. I was heartbroken. I went... I never do this. I went and stood outside Abbey Road Studios. I didn't get too close. I went and stood outside Abbey Road Studios and there were just loads of hippies smoking dope. (laughs) I know! It was incredible. I had a little cry when he died. Uh, I had a cry when Arthur Lee from a group you've never heard of, a a 60 group called Love died. But the, the most recent celebrity... Oh, and I was in floods of tears! Oh, my favourite, Davy Jones of the Monkeys. I love the Monkeys. I love the Monkeys. I'm obsessed. And the thing was, I was getting my little boy to bed and I was singing Daydream Believer to my little boy and I got a text saying, oh, it's a shame about Davy Jones, isn't it? Sorry, what? And then another text. I'm still singing Daydream Believer. Oh, really sorry to hear that Davy Jones has died. Oh, dear! Oh, I was in floods of tears, little Davy Jones. And I was crying because, A, I love the monkeys, but, B, I was crying for my childhood. My childhood. He was... I, I grew up with him. Not literally, that would have been weird. But I grew up with him, and it was... It was—it signified the end of my childhood, I think, to a certain extent, even though it was last year, and I was, in fact, 39 years old. Give me a call. Be honest about this. When was the last time you cried? I, I do I do well up a little bit. If my boy says something really nice, don't am very often. But, uh, I love you, Dada. I do well up a little. I do well up a little bit. But then, what he normally says straight after that is, "Can we watch an Octonauts?" That's the next phrase. Can we watch an Octonauts? <laughs> so be honest, and it can be sloppy if you want. I don't mind eight one triple three. Start your text WM, or give me a phone call. It'd be I'd like to hear your stories. Oh eight four five three. 009956. When was the last time you cried? And have you ever uh, cried at the death of a celebrity? Uh, The big story uh, today and the big story yesterday, of course, was the explosion that went off outside a mosque in Tipton. Well, our reporter Steve Herman has been in Tipton uh, all morning. He's there now. Steve, what's the latest?
5: Well, latest at the moment is, well, still plenty of activity. West Midlands Police are here with... uh well, numerous police cars and police fans. I can see at least six or seven. There's also uh, a couple of fire trucks that have been unloading a, a massive uh, uh, crate uh, off the back of a, a van. I'm not exactly sure what's that for, what that is for, but there's been uh, plenty of investigations, forensics here as well. I can see them on the... Uh, railway bridge on the disused railway line which is uh, where the explosion was heard yesterday at 6 minutes past 1 uh, we're coming up to uh, nearly 23 hours since the event there is still heightened security but the the one thing that has been really nice um, this uh, this morning has been speaking to members of the community and their reaction uh, they're staying calm and and they're saying it's bringing the whole community together
4: This is the interesting thing, and we've heard this word dignity uh, thrown around a lot today, Steve, but it does seem to be that uh, the community, as opposed to uh, rightfully getting angry and and, and venting their spleen, they are kind of taking a step back, aren't they?
5: Yeah, I, I think it's a real black country spirit, you know, being quite laid back and you know, blase is probably not the right word because it was an explosion, a terrorist incident as it's being treated by West Midlands police. But everyone does seem very calm, very laid back and casual about this. It's a beautiful summer's day here in Tipton. There's blue sky all above. If if the police vans and the tape and and all the cars weren't here, you'd think it was just a, a normal summer's morning.
4: Steve, do you uh, are the police planning to speak to, to, to anybody at the, at the moment? Have they got a press conference lined up or anything?
5: Well, we're hoping, we believe there's going to be some sort of press conference at uh, around quarter to one here in Tipton uh, by the Tipton Carnegie Centre, which is right in front of me. We're expecting to hear from uh, multi-faith leaders from across the community just again to stress that uh, community spirit and community cohesion. The uh, only latest line from the police is that they are still appealing for witnesses to what happened at the central Jamia Mosque on Bimfield Street. The roads in the immediate area are still closed off. They are appealing for witnesses and um, I'm sure they'll be going through CCTV. As I've mentioned, they're checking through forensics, but uh, it is being treated as a terrorist incident still at this stage.
4: Steve Herman, uh, live from Tipton, thank you very much indeed. Good morning, this is Ian Lee, filling in for uh, Nick, BBC WM. Hey, this is... I'm I'm handing a sheet of paper and and I'm scratching everything. Is this true? I'm doing the maths, it is true. 28 years since Bob Geldof unleashed his global jukebox on the world... Live Aid was 28 years ago. Do you know what? I didn't really... I was 12 then. I didn't really pay much attention to Live Aid because I didn't really like uh, pop music. I didn't like modern pop music. I thought it was all uh, a load of old nonsense. I remember kind of sitting at home and and watching a bit of it but thinking, oh, whatever. My sister was obsessed. She was there in front with the video recorder, the Betamax, uh, recording and then pausing when, when, like, a rubbish band came on. Then when one of her bands came on, she'd she'd record again and terribly edited, badly edited version. 28 years. Thanks for making me feel really, really old. Isn't that nice? Uh, Keith Middleton will be hosting an extraordinary extravaganza to celebrate the 28th. Anniversary of the landmark world event that was uh, Live Aid. Uh, join Keith from 10pm tonight to hear the following share their memories of uh, uh, Live Aid. Harvey Goldsmith, Francis Rossi. Boy, oh boy, have I heard some stories about what status quo got up to at Live Aid. I've heard some stories that I... Uh, well, no, I couldn't mention them on the radio, even though I, I'm sure they would applaud me for doing it. Paul Weller, Janice Long, Midyear, Nick Kershaw. Did he ever give us the answer to the riddle, Nick Kershaw? He was supposed to. Wasn't he supposed to do it in 2001? I'm going to sue Nick Kershaw, Howard Jones, Paul Young... Uh, And Kiki D, what were you doing uh, when Live Aid happened? Were you there? Where did you watch it? Who was with you and what did it mean to you? You can uh, get in touch with Keith and uh, listen live from 10 o'clock tonight. The main thing I remember about Live Aid is uh, seeing the Beach Boys and thinking, oh, who are these weird, ugly, fat, beardy old men? I love the Beach Boys, but they didn't like Beach Boys in Live Aid. And also seeing The Who, because if I remember correctly, The Who were live at Wembley, But we'd lost the live link-up, so we went... We went. The nation went to Philadelphia and watched The Who live from Wembley, but live from Philadelphia. And also there was a bit as well, they hadn't played together for years and they were awful, where Pete Townsend kicked the microphone stand because the sound was so bad, and he fell over. He fell on his backside. It's a brilliant bit. It's a brilliant... You just see him fall on his backside, you think, oh, Pete, Pete, what are you doing? We're asking what makes you cry. I'm going to make one of the listeners cry in a minute. I'm really going to do it. Where's that text? I'm going to make someone cry in a second. But before that, uh, we're asking, when did, you cr- uh, when did you last cry? Chris says, uh, when my dog died seven weeks ago, still crying now. People who aren't pet owners don't get it. They don't get it. I've got my cat Velvet. She's been with me for, oh, 12 years. She's 14 years old, so... There ain't much time left, and she has been th- th- with me through thick and thin, through the highs and the lows, literal and metaphorical. When she dies, oh, my little girl, oh, it's going to break my heart. Uh, Chris also goes on to say, he cried, uh, uh, I'm assuming it's a gentleman, Chris died when George, uh, cried when George Best died. That's a, uh, uh, Natalie says, I always cry over things that involve animal cruelty and child cruelty as they can't defend themselves. Um, Sean says, OMG! I've just Googled OMG. It means, oh, my God. It's, it's like an abbreviation. It's a short way of saying it. If you do it in capitals, it means, oh, my God, it just saves you typing that, and it saves time reading it. I thought I was the only one who cries. Today they call them chick flicks. Oh, the end of sleepless in Seattle on top of the Empire States. Uh, tw- uh, 27 dress when she finally realises she's in love. I've not seen the film. I probably never will. Thank you very much for that. Steve's in Leicestershire. Good morning, Steve. How, was that? How are
22: you? Yeah, good.
4: I'm, I'm good, thank you. I'm getting a little bit emotional because I've just imagined my cat dying, and that's not good. When, no, when was, was the last was... time you cried?
22: Well, I mean, the,
20: the last time, I don't know. I'm, I can't really say that, but uh, I, I was thinking uh, Les Dawson was... Uh, what moved me to tears when you talked about, you know, when a celebrity died. Uh, I got really emotional about
4: that. Were you surprised to be caught by that emotion?
20: I was, actually, yeah, because back then it wasn't quite as common as it might be now to let go, you know. Um, uh, Yeah, I was surprised, to be honest.
4: (laughs) Steve, thank you very much for that. I'm going to play a little bit of a song knowing... Well, Neil, I apologise, but Neil's going to cry now. This is, that's for Neil. We don't really play songs with this, but it's a, it's a good song, isn't it? Gilbert O'Sullivan, Alone, and Le- Alone Again Naturally. Uh, Neil is texting. I cannot sing along with the song Alone Again Naturally without crying ever, especially the verse, oh, I'm getting all emotional. It's just because I'm tired. At 65 years old, my mother, God rest her soul, couldn't understand why the only man she'd ever loved had been taken, leaving her to start with a heart so badly broken. Despite encouragement from me, no words were ever spoken. Oh, it's sad, isn't it? Listen, it's a nice day out there, but I I suggest if the heat isn't for you, lock yourself in a dark room, draw the curtains, put E.T. on or a sad film and just have a little weep. It feels good. You feel silly. You, feel, you do feel a bit silly, but... It, oh, it's nice. Let it all out. It's cathartic. Another celebrity. Do you remember Frank Sybottom? The guy with the paper mache head? Oh, cos I, I, I used to love Frank and Chris Seavey, who played him, and I kind of became friends with him towards the end. Oh, and then he died. Well, on that joyous note... <laughs> It wasn't quite the laugh riot we were expecting, was it? No, but it was a lot of fun. Uh, this has been Ian Lee sitting in for Nick Comrade. I back one more week. You have to endure one more week. So hopefully you'll join me uh, next week. Coming up after the news, do stay tuned. Tammy Gooding is going to be on. But from me, till next week, ta-ta.